Baby, you know I'm going back to church again. Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome back to this week's episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for the downloads of the podcast. Thank you for participating on the Facebook page, sharing the music and those songs with us. Uh, means the world to us and you as well i'm sure with all, always with me is jason what's going on man hey brian uh not too much man today's been kind of a just uh you know uh, under under the radar day which was good though because i did a lot of chores around the house and listened to a lot of good music how are you doing right on uh i'm doing good i'm doing good uh, i've been a little slightly under the weather the last couple of days but i'm on just seem to be on the normal mend right now so, uh, you know, I was just listening to uh, another episode of the Rock Revival podcast with uh, Steve Jewell from Otis, and we wanted to talk about some different podcasts besides ours, you know, because we had talked about how, you know, it, like us in State of America, we're kind of like, I kind of figured like we're the only ones kind of like, uh, you know, covering this kind of genre of music, and all of a sudden after we talked to Boone from from Otis, and then I find out about the Rock Revival podcast uh, by, you know, his fellow brother guitarist and Otis, Steve Jewell. It comes out of Edmonton, Kentucky on 99.1, the Haas on Wednesday night, 7 to 9. But uh, this last one I was listening to, he had Fred Young on there, and I'm still about halfway through that. Last night I listened to the episode with Rick Richards from uh, Georgia Satellites and Juju Hounds, and that was pretty cool. And I listened to one before um, from uh, he's talking to Jeff Bolin from Analog Pedals and Chris from Blackstone Cherry was on there and Boone was on there. So that's a very cool podcast. So it's nice to see, you know, some other podcasts out there. Um, what what, what uh, some other podcasts off the top of your head that you can think of that's kind of close to what we're doing out there? Um. Well, our buddies at State of America who focus on the Black Crows, but also get some people in the Black Crows universe. Of course, they've had on Charlie Starr, Britt Turner, and Susan Tedeschi as well, too. So that's that's one of them. Um, I've been on, it's not really all Southern Rock, but the R4 podcast, which is Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. And I just recently, a couple weeks ago, did Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, another sordid love song. So we at least had something in that genre. You, my friend, though, are the one who's finding out all these new podcasts and introducing me to them. So, I mean, what do you got? What have you been hearing? Well, I mean, besides the Rock Revival podcast, you know, uh, a friend of ours, you know, that's, you know, uh, 
into our music and she's uh, big into things from Kentucky and she's from Alabama and big uh, them dirty roses fans. We're talking about Lissa Culbertson and she's the co-host on a podcast called underground music discovered. And I was uh, very pleased to find out they just recently interviewed our buddy, Andrew from them dirty roses. Did you get a chance to listen to that yet? I have not, but I, you know, you posted, I think, two really good podcasts yesterday the steve jewel one and then hers and i'm definitely got to i definitely got to take a chance to look at listen to those like i i like i sent you on facebook you know he was talking about like you know um you know where he as a kid he got some guitar lessons from an interesting a nun <laughs> a nun <laughs> see that's why and i want to listen I'm like, oh my god, you know, it's you know, but he was a kid, or else you know, we could make a pretty good inside joke about that if he was older age. But um, yeah, Andrew, if you're listening, that's hilarious. He took guitar lessons from a nun. Did he um, say what songs she taught him? Did he go and say, hey, can you yeah, teach he me did. some Wasp for Black Sabbath songs no, or something inappropriate? No, uh, he, he he did mention what what he learned from. Maybe she knew striper stuff then because that's the metal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, no, I don't think it was anything like that. But I think he said, like, she was a really good picker. So, uh, you know, but he went to all Catholic schools. So that's, you know, where you're going to take a guitar lesson from. Yeah, but, not a lot of options. You know, this, but it's so nice to find out about these other podcasts that are, that, are, that are, you know, delving into this kind of music and the wider spectrum of this kind of music. Um you have you you've been on what's the other one that uh is it ian or david does a digital oh yeah digital kill the radio star so david hudson from the state of america does a podcast on there's any type of music um i've been on to talk about oasis the master plan and then most recently with with ian guesting as well to do both acoustic eps from allison change so both sap and dirt and he's had stuff about Def leopard and I think Springsteen or whatever. So he's like, it's a really good one because it's a very wide scope of, of music. And years ago, he had Troy Laquetta, the drummer from Tesla on, which you and I are a big te- Tesla fan. So that was a pretty good one, but that's a few years old. Okay. Well, nonetheless, I'm going to have to check that out. I've been really uh, doing the, you know, delving into this, you know, rock revival one, you know, first and trying to get around everything else. Um so uh, another person that uh, that uh, Steve had on the podcast on his Rock Revival podcast was uh, Greg Martin, guitar player from the Kentucky Headhunters, which of course is a good segue because that's our I, guest this this I was week. Say yeah, <laughs> that's a really good segue. And I was actually subscribing to the Rock Revival podcast right as you were doing that intro. I wasn't paying attention. My apologies, but now I'm subscribed to Steve Jewell's podcast. Right on. So, you know, it's so cool to like listen to, you know, all these, you know, you know, I've listened to, uh, I've probably got about halfway through that one too and kind of shuffling around. So listening to uh, Steve talk to Greg and then talking to Fred, you know. Yeah, and his is new too. They it's the, last, the last episode was March 3rd. It was only their sixth one. So uh, he's just getting rolling. So definitely Everybody who's listening to us, get on there and support Steve with his podcast. Yeah, brother podcast, we can be. And what was so, Lisa Culbertson, too? Was it Underground something? Lisa. Lisa Culbertson. Lisa. Underground. Underground music discovered. There you go. 
See why I'm doing this. Everybody listening should do it the same thing. And she's the co-host. She got a, or the other co-host is named Austin. Underground music discovered with Lissa. Here we go. Got it with Austin. There we go. Yep. So they are up to Andrew, who you spoke about already, was at episode nine. So that's also a new podcast too. So Brian, are are, are we uh, inspiring people to do some podcasts around this type of music? Well, it's probably coincidental, you know. But I mean, I think uh, you definitely see, you know, some, you know, kindred spirit kind of energy and vibes from them, like, you know, like uh, liking our stuff and giving shout outs and, you know, participating on Facebook page. And, you know, I definitely think there's a, you know, I think it's a mutual uh, respect, admiration, uh, you know, you know, mutual enthusiasm about, you know, us doing, you know, those for those of us that are doing this and that uh, that makes us uh, feel good. And uh, hopefully it makes everyone else feel good. Um, what do you want to delve into to lead into our interview with Greg? I Listen, um, I mean, Kentucky Headhunters, kind of a legendary band, Grammy winners. You know, they got a lot of respect in the music business. A lot of their, I think they've crossed genres with other bands um, liking them, as you'll hear in the interview. Greg's a good dude, good guitarist. I think you're going to like what you're going to hear from him. I, this was a pretty long conversation, too, because usually we try to keep these about an hour. And this one was a little bit longer because there was a <laughs> lot of good content on here, though. But listen, legendary guitarist, founding member of Kentucky Headhunters, Grammy winner, music historian. I mean, he thinks guy knows his stuff. So I think if you enjoy all that, you're going to enjoy this one. What do you think? And Well, yeah, that's, you know, one of the most fascinating things about him. I mean, he starts out playing music in 1968. And so he sees, you know, he's there listening when the Allman Brothers start. When they first put their music out, right. he's hearing it right away. Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, when they're putting their music out, he's there right away, you know. He's listening to Skinner as soon as they come out, you know. He's, so he's, it's just, you know, uh, it's so fascinating for us that he's, you know, to, to talk to someone that's been around that long and, it's, you know, has was there when those records came out. Wow, what was that like, you know. So, like you said, this one's a little longer and, you know, this is... <laughs> It's about two and a half hours, honestly, pretty close to it. And uh, he was just kept going, man. And we're like, yep, yep, we're listening. There were so <laughs> many good stories that he went to. And it actually went fast. So yeah. I was surprised when we got when we were finished and, and saw the time. But, man, it, it was a lot of fun. I didn't have any expectations like of anything particular going into this one. And this ended up being one of my favorite podcasts. You know, and this other thing I wanted to say before we, uh, you know, set you guys off into the interview here is that, you know, those guys in Kentucky, all those guys, there's nothing rock star attitude coming from these Not guys at all. At all. You know, all. nothing rock star. I mean, just down I to mean, earth. It's, it's the Kentucky headhunters. And they certainly, you know, if they were like that, or if they wanted to be like that, they, you know, they wouldn't, you know, have to take the time to talk to us, but Greg did. Right. And it's incredible. Like all those guys, you know, and, you know, and I was so thankful for for Steve to give the podcast a shout out on the last show on Monday night when we were talking to Jeff Boland from Analog Pedals and, you know, and said he wants to give a shout out to his, to his buddies and the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast, man. And I, that's, 
that's genuine, it's real, and it means the world to us. So I'm just so grateful for all those musicians from Kentucky. It's just incredible. And I'm, I keep saying that I'm savagely obsessed with the South Central Kentucky music scene. It's oh, yeah, just, no kidding. It, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And uh, I think uh, for the listeners, uh, you're going to get your mind blown with this R chat with Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters. <laughs> Welcome to this week of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast, the guest segment for this week. And you guys all know that I always uh, pass the baton over to Jason to uh, tell everybody who our guest is, and we've got uh, we've got a pretty big guest this week. Uh, yeah, I'll say you know we have a pretty big guest this week. I usually think of these intros pretty easily, but this is this is a tough one. Um, this is our first Grammy winner. This is a member of a legendary band that we have on here. We have founding member and guitarist of the Kentucky Headhunters, Greg Martin. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Y'all, y'all are too kind, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't always get Grammy Award winners on here, and this is you're our first, so thank you. Well, you should have. Well, we were blessed many years ago to win a Grammy, and We've been up for three or four. I, I'm a little bit uh, rusty on my knowledge now, but we did win one for Picket on Nashville, and I, I'm yep. real proud of that. Um, you know, we didn't set out to win awards, but I'm I'm real proud that we won that. So and, there you go. And that was the uh, 1990 Best Country Group um, Award, right? Yep, sure was. Sure was. Best duo or group. Yep. Best duo or yep. group. And that's the first time. I became familiar with you guys. I was a, I was in high school and then, and you know, watching the Grammys, and I saw you guys come up, and I'm like, those dudes don't really look country. They look kind of like <laughs> rock and roll or metal. I'm like, that's pretty badass. I got to find out who these guys are. <laughs> well, we were very, very lucky. It had to be a divine plan. It wasn't us, you know, to to meet Richard and Fred back in 1968. And then meet Doug. I mean, it, it you know how all these things kind of worked out. You know, uh, they just seemed to be it, it just seemed to be fate for us to find each other. Of course, the Grammy thing, I, it, it, I never would have envisioned that to ever happen years ago. You know, sure. it's amazing. But uh, I remember, I remember that night we won because the next day I went to to Manny's in New York and I bought me a a dat recorder i thought okay now we made it. i'm gonna buy me a dad recorder <laughs> you know now the reward yourself <laughs> yeah <now they're> <laughs> i'm a grammy winner damn it i oh i deserve this <laughs> oh gosh it's none of them things are long gone you know <laughs> they are yeah but hey guys thanks for having me on i'm glad to yeah be here. for sure yeah now everybody knows who you guys are you know and it you know to 
go in depth for the whole history. It'd probably take three or four episodes. But uh, do you, and then can you do a condensed? I know you guys used to be the Itchy Brothers and mm-hmm. just kind of you know generate how it formed in the Kentucky Headhunters and go from well, there. In 1968, I got hit really hard with the music bug. My cousin took me to Louisville to see this band called Elysian Field, which was an amazing three-piece band. Uh, and a guitarist named Frank Bugby just blew me away, man. I don't know. It's just like at that point in life, uh, I felt that's what I wanted to do is play music. And about, you know, I was I was living in Midcalf County. I uh, grew up in Louisville, but in 1966, the end of 66, my dad just uprooted us. He quit his job up there, and he wanted to move us back to Midcalf County, which, and uh, looking back, you know, that it was it was, it was was great because I wouldn't have met Richard and Fred. But after seeing Elysian Field in 68, I just had a plan. I said, I want to play guitar. So my cousin, Larry Sullivan, who's... Um, if you could look back, he his family members were Lonzo and Oscar Sullivan, which were really big country artists way back. And but Larry came on the bus one day and said, "Hey, man, there's a guy just come to school, just uh, transferred to Edmonton Elementary because his dad had to do some student teaching, and um, it was Richard. And so said so we're going to have a talent show in November." said, would you be interested in playing? Of course, man, I didn't know that much at that point, but I knew I wanted to play. So I met Richard one afternoon at the Edmonton Elementary cafeteria, actually back in the kitchen. And we sat down and played Born to be Wild, uh, Hey Jude, uh, maybe uh, Revolution, and possibly in a kind of feet or something, you know. <laughs> and, and and said, yeah, we can do this. So we do this talent show with some other guys and uh, I can't remember what we went by now. Uh, I found a, an old newspaper clipping there a while back and it mentioned us doing it. But after that was over, Richard said, Hey man, I've got a band with my cousin, Anthony and my brother, Fred, would you like to come over and jam? And I, of course I said, yes. And that, that was the beginnings of what would become the Kentucky headhunters or itchy brother, itchy brothers, a big part of the puzzle too. But initially, I can't remember, we were called the Truce when I joined them in 68. And then we went through a series of names. We went through Aftermath, Mainliner, Hickory Trash. And then Itchy Brother kind of happened around 74-ish, 73, 74, you know. But it was all because of that talent show. I met Richard and Fred, you know. And um, now in 1970, so that was 68. I played with Richard and Fred up till 1972 when I graduated. Uh, my parents wanted to move back to Louisville. And I initially was going to stay in Metcalf County in Edmonton. And I decided, no, I'm going to go get a job in the big city because the music scene was really happening up there at that point. And I moved off. And, you know, after after 74, it was just hard to make practices and things like that. We did cut a little 45, as Itchy Brother. Uh, for um, shotgun Effie and rock and roller, just just an independent deal. But it, it it came apparent that I couldn't make practices and things, so they they went to a series of different members, and then we hooked back up in 1977 when it, and they were really they were making some really uh, great connections in Atlanta, and I mean they really 
they went after it. I kind of, from 72 to 76 or 7, I just kind of floated around, played a little music in Louisville. The music scene wasn't quite as illustrious as I thought it was going to be, <laughs> you know. And uh, then I started playing with them guys again back in 1977 and moved back and started playing with them. So that's kind of how it all started anyway, right there. You've been around for quite a while, and uh, so you've seen, like, the beginning of the Almond Brothers. You've seen the beginning of Skinnerd. Yeah. Um, once again, I know that's a lot to talk about, but what, what can you, you know, say about them? The more abbreviated. Well, the Almond Brothers, you know, of course, when, when I really got hit by the music bug in 68, not that I wasn't into music before that, I really got into guitar players in 68. And I had friends that went to the Atlanta Pop Festival. Mm. Whenever what, what, I'm not sure what year the first one was. Was it 70 or 69 or 70? And I, and they were talking about Sky Dog. And that was, was Dwayne Allman. Right. So they saw the Allman Brothers down there. And uh, so that was my first hearing about those guys. And then I remember reading about the Almond Brothers, maybe like Hip Parader or Cream Magazine. I don't think it was Cream. It must have been Hip Parader. And, um, and I remember Richard and Fred picked up... I didn't, I didn't have the first two albums. I don't know why, but Richard and Fred got the Fillmore album. Mm-hmm. And it must have been like my, my junior year, best I remember. And um, I borrowed it. And, uh, of course, when I put it on and States World Blues came on, I had never heard slide guitar like that anyway. Um, the Allman Brothers, uh, I, I mean, I, it's hard to even describe those guys because they're so deep. And it's funny because you can listen to the Almond Brothers as a kid, and then to this day you keep discovering things about those guys, about their interplay. And they were just amazing, amazing band. Um, I have to admit, I was probably more, you know, initially I was probably more into Cream and um, Hendrix and stuff like that. But as I've gotten older, man, I really absolutely love Dwayne and Dickie. And I'm all Almond Brother. All incarnations are great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with, uh, you know, Warren and all that. So, you know, you said in 68, you really got bit by the music bug. You're kind of into guitar players. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you said... Clapton because we had Cream, Jimi Hendrix. Kind of who else inspired you around those times to pick up and play guitar? Well, my first concert was, I mean, we'd have to back it up. I grew up around a house of music, you know, and it was a lot of country music because of my mm-hmm. parents. And uh, there was a station in Louisville, WTMT, which played the uh, country hits of the day, back when country was country. And, you know, that made an impact a bit, but there was also the pop radio stations, WKLO and WAKY in Louisville, that I listened to a lot. And, you know, and I became familiar with the Yardbirds, Paul Revere and the Raiders, you know, things like that. But uh, um, I remember Jeff Beck was probably uh, initially a influence during his uh, tenure with the Yardbirds because we had their singles. Lonnie Mack, we had Lonnie Mack Records in the house. Uh, Travis Womack, and then if you, if you go forward a little bit, uh, uh, in 66, I uh, saw the Love and Spoonful in concert, <laughs> and I became a big fan of John Sebastian and, and uh, Zal, the other guitar player, and uh, 
so 67 was the enlightening year, the year of enlightenment, so to speak. I could, you know, we moved back to Midcalf County and all I had really was to, uh, I had a radio, AM radio. I didn't, this is before AM, I mean before FM. And I, I would listen to, to local AM during the day. And then I would listen to WLS out of Chicago at night or WCFL, which had a great underground show called the Subterranean Circus with Ron Britton. But one night I heard Jimi Hendrix in the summer of 67, Purple Haze. And I went, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and I also heard The Doors. And then, you know, just a few months later, I heard uh, Sunshine of Your Love, but Cream. So there's just so many. Yeah, Clapton, <laughs> Jimmy Page with the Yardbirds. I remember that. I remember when he was with the Yardbirds. Yep. Um, then you go a little forward. Uh, Johnny Winter made a big impact. Uh, Todd Rundgren with the Naz. Um, oh, man. God, there's so many. <laughs> it's so many. Uh, Ronnie Montrose, Rick Derringer, people like that. Yep. Uh, but, you you know, those were guys, and we could talk about. So there's not many guitar players I haven't heard that have not rubbed off on me a bit. Uh, you also mentioned Skinner a uh, while ago. I, my first time I heard about those guys was uh, I was working at a printing company in Louisville, and and a fellow I worked with on the machine was talking about the first album or seeing them and playing Louisville. Of course, we all love Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers. You know, both great bands, different mm-hmm. bands. You know, even though they're they're considered Southern rock, they're way different in approach. You know. How did it impact, you know, that whole genre of music, that scene, you know, with the plane crash? Well, as I said, I kind of, I was playing music from 72 to 77, but I'd quit. (laughs) I went to see Led Zeppelin in April 1977. Where did you see him? I saw him in Louisville, Freedom. Yeah. And, And I pretty much quit my job at that point <laughs> yeah there's a couple of things that was one thing i said i want to play music and i kind of floundered around louisville from april to fall of 77 I'd, I'd pick up little odd gigs playing and jamming but you know 77 richard fred and anthony and another fellow by the name of tim they had itchy brother and they were actually living in atlanta and they were working with some people that knew the people at Capricorn and things like that. And I guess Tim, the bass player just decided abruptly, he wanted to quit and come home. And Richard called me one day, said, look, would you like to rejoin the band? And, uh, Anthony will go back on bass. And that's what happened. And, and I remember (laughs) they said when they left Atlanta, it was about the same time the plane crash happened, you know? And, uh, it, it was amazing. Uh, it was a sad time. It was a sad time. I remember when it happened, you know. Uh, they were down there. I was in Louisville when it happened, you know. Sad. Yeah. So one of the goals of this podcast is to, you know, try to, like, chip away what, what I believe is, like, the layman's, you know, look at Southern rock. Yes, sir. You know, and to me, it's an amalgamation of many different styles. I think I remember, like, when I was, like, in the late 70s when I was a kid, I think it was molly hatchet and then nothing to do with them as the a band but i think they got stuck with that tag of southern fried rock i mean so to you like what how do you define is it just you know something that's made up by record industry people or 
what's your uh, to me it's like just so many different styles of sure blues and rock and soul and gospel and what's your mm-hmm. take on it yeah um yeah it's funny because the, the almond brothers never really consider themselves southern right. rock you know they consider mm-hmm. themselves like a west coast band or something mm-hmm. um but they started this whole thing really yep. indirectly uh you can go back to the candy man which were some of the members from ars you know but to me southern rock is a heavy dose of you know it's rock with blues country gospel little jazz leanings and it's just a burgoo of different parts you know it's 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 a great it's a great thing and i was around you know there i was breathing there when that stuff started hitting you know when the almond brothers hit um of course we didn't the Almond Brothers weren't really a household name until what seventy three when Ramblin' Man made it, it was a hit, you know, and that really sent them through the roof. Uh, but and then what was the year for Skinner? Seventy four maybe or seventy three? I can't remember the first album what year it was. Yeah, it sounds around there. I'm you not know, sure. yeah, but but also I remember when Marshall Tucker hit. We all love Marshall mm-hmm. Tucker as well. Toy Caldwell and his brother and the rest of them. And um, there was so many great bands that came out of the South that would play in Louisville. And I, I like Hydra. Are you guys familiar with Hydra? I've heard of them. I'm not. Oh, they were a great band. They, they released two albums on Capricorn. And I think one maybe was released on Polydor, maybe. But I should hook you guys up with Spencer, the guitarist. And I just you know, remember, I've, I have heard them. I've heard. Oh, yeah, so. they're fabulous. And they were around the whole incarnation. They were right. You know, man, I was in Midcalf County um, to 72, and we didn't see it. We heard about things, but we didn't see a lot of stuff. You know, we had a really good band from this area called Buster Brown, and they came so close to signing. And they had a lot of Southern blues elements to their music, you know, but. The best I remember, Southern Rock became a, which it probably, as you said, it was probably created by a marketing guy, uh, the the tag. Uh, I think around '74 is when it really became a big thing. You know, I remember going to Derby Eve Jam '74, '75, and seeing Wet Willie, who I absolutely love, and Charlie Daniels Band and Marshall Tucker all together. You know, so that was man up till. From 74 to about the time the plane crashed, a little bit after, uh, Southern Rock was a big thing. Big thing. It still is, of course. It's just changed. You know, it wears different hats, different times. Mm-hmm. You know? One thing that we became really super, super aware of that's so amazing, and I, and I was just, like I said, I was just listening to the Rock Revival, and yeah. Steve was talking about it, of course, is that it's mind-boggling how much great music is come from that south central kentucky rural area you know from you guys and and he he mentioned the tail draggers is that too slim in the tail draggers no he mentioned there was one other band he mentioned that slipped my mind i can't remember he said that it wasn't for um well there could have been been black cat bone maybe oh Uh, i'm not sure black cat bone super fuzz super fuzz there you go yeah super super fuzz fuzz. (laughs) yeah and tail dragger tail dragger is my uh, stepson john uh, he, okay. he fronts that on guitar, but me and John and Dean Smith also have a side project called Martin Smith McGee. You know, we, we we don't play out. We just make little 
CDs and things like that. Well, we haven't made, we got one ready to go. But yeah, this area, it's a, it's got its own little thing. And I was talking to David Barrick, our engineer, last night, and Richard, my bandmate. And, you know, it seems like right now in this area, there's not much going on. I don't know if the pandemic has killed everything or, and there'll probably be two or three kids or a group of kids that we don't even know about that's getting ready just to spring forth. Now it's about how many shares you got on Facebook or how many views on YouTube and mm-hmm. things like that, or Instagram. But this area, from the time that Buster Brown sprang onto the scene down here, which would have been 1970-ish, uh, they've made a big impact on a lot of us musicians around here. And then, you know, our band, Itchy Brother, there was another really good Southern band called Slick Rock that came really close to signing. Um, and then it was just been a, different guys, such as, of course, Blackstone Cherry, Otis, mm-hmm. as you know, yep. uh, Tail Dragger, Black Cat Bone, Super Fuzz. There's just been so many bands spring. I could, I could go sixth floor. There's just so many. I can't think of them all right now. Yeah. But it has its own little sound around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, just like Atlanta had its own thing and Macon did too, you know. I mean, it's 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 almost like as incredible as like the Muscle Shoals area or the Mississippi Delta. And, and to, for me now, just seeing the more recent bands, and I know Blackstone Cherry has been around, you know, 20 years, but I mean, you know, we've always been aware of the Kentucky Headhunters, but we started, mm-hmm. your name kept coming up. Like we interviewed, the first time we interviewed uh, TJ and Riley from the Georgia Thunderbolts. Yeah, and then we interviewed the Galanis brothers from Southern Governor. Yeah, you know, and then Chris, yeah. of course, and we know that John Fred is Fred's son, and then Otis, and then there's Mojo Thunder and the Josephines, and I'm just like, I want to live there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the Josephines. Yeah, they yeah. fit right in. Yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, known them kids for a long time. Now, is there? It's amazing. Like I said, that scene is such in a rural area, and Boone was mm-hmm. talking about it. it's like. Just like a regular currency, see somebody's tour bus. Like, of course, before COVID, and see somebody's tour bus at the little gas station. It's like, man, eh, it's just normal, you know. Um, but uh, it, um, I forgot my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. I hate when that happens. There's so <laughs> many good bands it. coming out from there. That's not weird oh, to see something like that. I remembered. Um, so now what about like Lexington and Louisville is, are there like anything that goes on in the bigger cities or is this all just condensed down in? No, no. Louisville has, it's, has had its own scene. Uh, and Lexington's had its own scene. Lexington's a whole different sound altogether. It's more jangle. It's more, I think they were more influenced. Not everybody. Uh, there's, there's some guys, uh, jam bands up there, guys influenced by the Allman brothers, uh, and different things. But, when I think about Lexington, my stepdaughter was in a band called Velvet Elvis, and they had a record deal. They they toured. They, they were out with REM and different people like that back in. Heck, my my stepdaughter had a record deal before I did. Wow! Really, even though I was playing with a country artist out of Nashville, uh, we signed our deal in '89, and she had a group called Velvet Elvis, and they were on the road before I was. Real well, no, I've been on the road. <laughs> since 1980 but she was on the road with her own band promoting a record you know and um, i was with a country artist and he had he was having big records and stuff like that but lexington 
I think of Lexington, they're more of an indie town, mm-hmm. independent rock, um, whatever that encompasses now. I'm not even sure. That because it's a college town with UK yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. In Louisville, being a river town, it's a, it's a funky town. Uh, there, there's been, I mean, there's been people come out of that town. It's been a lot of soul and blues. Steve Ferguson was a guitarist that was in a band called NRBQ. Um, Louisville had a great scene. And it, it, it's a little funkier town than Lexington, but this area right here, I don't know how to describe it, man. It's just a uh, a mixture of all these, a lot of blues, country, and rock, you know, mm-hmm. and the gospel thing fits in, you know. But uh, I think each town, I think we were more, I love Lexington, but I think musically we were more kindred to Louisville. Um there again, we used to play Louisville more, when, you know, with Itchy Brother and stuff like that. But uh, I think this area does have its own thing. Even Jared kind of covered that on the, one of the songs he wrote, Something in the Water, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, Black Mountain Prophet right, CDs. Right, right, Yeah, yeah. I heard, uh, I got to reference Chris Robinson for a second, of course, in The Black Crows. He was saying once in an interview, like, you know, if you were listening to a, like a newer band and, and, and he referenced Little Feet, and if you're listening to Black Rose and you heard about Little Feet, you go pick up the new Little Feet or the pick up the first Little Feet record, and it's like a brand new band to you. And that's kind of what's basically happening for me with you guys, okay. even though I've known about you forever. And I yeah. usually, what I do is I start what's the newest thing and then work backwards, you know, sure. so I've been listening to on Safari. You know, and oh, okay. oh, you know yeah. Beaver Creek Mansion. I'm oh. like, this is like Skinner and Blackberry Smoke where – of course, everybody is familiar with, you know, Dumas Walker, and I've heard mm-hmm. every bar band cover that and stuff. Yep. So it's like, hey, man, like these guys are rock and roll, you know, Southern oh, rock man. band, too. There's no doubt that Richard Fred and I, when we came up, our aspirations, country was a great thing to happen to us. Now, I'm not going to lie about it because we've made a living and um, and save our butts, really. But coming up. We want to be rock and roll, and and really a big part of what we are, big biggest part of the pie is rock and roll. We're just country people, mm-hmm. you know, playing rock and roll. And uh, Doug Phelps, our bass player, and does the lion's share of the singing. He's from uh, the Boot Hill, Missouri, and uh, he's got a very he's a great singer. He's a singer singer, really. I mean, he I've never heard Doug. If he's if he goes flat or sharp, it's just because he don't hear himself or he's got a cold, you know. And um, he he's got a lot of country in his voice, but he loves rock and roll. But me and Richard and Fred, the Itchy Brother was not country. Now when we opened our mouths, we were country, mm-hmm. you know. But man, we wanted to be like a like a Southern Led Zeppelin or something, you know. So that was our goal in life. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, we uh, we were actually talking to Swan Song Records. Um, in 78 you know we almost we came real close to getting signed it just didn't just didn't work out you know so you guys are in a studio now working on a new record sure are um i can't tell you what our last record was live at ramblin man was that 2019 or 18 everything just runs together now uh so we we were supposed to go in the studio last year then the pandemic hit and we decided that we needed to all kind of stay in our houses. And we played, we maybe ended up playing eight gigs last year. 
And uh, finally, we said, well, there was some interest from a label, and it's not definite yet, so I won't say anything about that. Mm-hmm. We decided it was time to go in and make an album. And uh, it, the tracking's done. I'm real happy with it. I think it came out really well. It's a very, very uh, good representation of the band. It's got some Southern. Well, everything is steeped in Southern, but it's just different facets of it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the songs are very strong. The playing strong um, it surprised me how well we did, considering we hadn't played much. Yeah. You know, my brain's a little mushy, I have to say. <laughs> you know, so hopefully, by the grace of God, uh, the mixing process starts uh, this week, I believe, uh, maybe on Saturday. Uh, David Barrick will mix it here in Glasgow. Um, that'll be about a week and a half process, maybe two weeks, and then it'll go to mastering. Um, then. You know, the, the, if the paperwork comes back and everything, then this album could come out around fall, you know. Okay. Yeah, I don't Certainly. know the name of the album. I know there, we've got 13, 14 songs, so. Well, you know, if you need a name, call All Things Blues and Southern Rock. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> you could call it All Things Blues and Southern Rock, you know. <laughs> There you go. I don't know what it'll be. Somebody will, something will slip off somebody's tongue one night and go, there it is. There's the title, you know. So, so with, with this new album, is there, are there, is there any influence over like the last year with the pandemic, pandemic on any oh, of the songs? Okay. Yeah, lyrically, yeah, sure. We're not blatantly, we, we don't sing about politics or anything like sure. that. But we, uh, yeah, it affected the lyrics. I think it was, and I think the lyrics are very insightful. Yeah. yeah. I think Richard brought some great songs. Uh, I really noticed in his songs. They, they were very deep and, and very insightful. And Doug, too. But, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it affected us. I think I think in a positive way, because, you know, when you're out there touring and, you know, you're basically just traveling all the time. You know, you're going out, doing your laundry, paying your bills, and you're back out. We finally had time to spend with our families, do a little house cleaning. And you get in a, you, not in a rut, but you get into your little... You just do the same things every week. I think it changed the way we, we, we thought about things and the way we play. So it was probably, it was a good thing. The pandemic wasn't good in a lot of ways, but right. for, for maybe for my family, it was good, you know, in the band too. Yeah. Yeah. I stretch that creativity. I mean, we, we've spoken with Tyler Bryant and, you yeah. know, they started, they, they made a record during the pandemic. They just came in to start jamming and all of a sudden, had enough content for a record, influenced by that. I think, uh, Brian, when we spoke to Chris from Blackstone Cherry, yeah. same thing, you know, yeah. like, so, you know, you're right about what you know and what's going on and kind of the emotions that you have. So I'm not surprised to hear that you've got some pandemic kind of inspired content. Yeah, it did. It Lyrically, it did. And this album has got a spirit. I will say that it's got a spirit on it because um, going into it, it started out a little slow. We hadn't played together. The last time we I, I played with the guys was October. And I was supposed to play with them in November. And I tested positive for <laughs> COVID November 12th. And immediately I just had to, I had to go into quarantine. So the, the one gig, uh, Chris Robertson, he went out and played for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah he told yeah, us about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I love that boy. He's a he's a good guy, man. And uh, hey, we're we're blessed with Blackstone Cherry, uh, 
they're a big part of what we do, and I think we're a big part of what they do, Otis. And uh, you're going to be hearing more about uh, Tail Dragger. Okay. Uh, and my I, I, Otis, Otis is going to come. They're going to bounce back here really yep. strong. You know, they're amazing. They, they are amazing. Amazing. They're a great band. Great band. Oh. I'm very proud of them, boys. They just need the right representative to help those things out. That's all they're missing. I think they need somebody to back them. They do. And I, I was with Boone earlier today. We were at the coffee shop. I hadn't. I, 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 I bought I, that I, coffee, by the way. It's good. The, you know, the bags of coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need strong coffee, man. But uh, yeah, man, I think things are going to be really good. There. I think things are going to. It's going to be a slow. It'll be a little slow, but I think things are going to get better. You know, you know last year was crazy. It's just nuts. Well, nobody knew anything, right? What's going on? Yeah. Stuff changes week to week, and we, we, oh. we, you know, we know what's going on, and like we know what's coming, and I, you know, a couple months. I, you see, look, July, August. I think we're going to have a lot closer semblance to normal than we have in the last. So, yeah, yeah. I had my first shot. Is anybody? Of course, you guys are younger. Yeah, anybody? I did yesterday. I did yesterday, and I had heard that other people had had like a reaction the next day. So I'm just telling. You know, if you know when you get if you want to get the vaccination, make sure you have the next day off. I call I had to call him sick this morning to work, so I'm so you had your first shot yesterday. Yeah. Well, I won't tell you. Uh, I had my first shot about two weeks ago today, and I slept the next day. Some people don't bother him at all. But I have Moderna or Pfizer. Which one did you guys get? Moderna. I had Moderna. Moderna, and uh, I was supposed to. uh, My next shot is supposed to be on May 27th. But we have a gig somewhere. I, I don't know where it's even at. Sorry, it's not. Um, I think it's over in Missouri someplace. Better get and, Chris ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. But I, I talked to the lady. I said, "Can I get my shot next weekend? Because we're off. Because, but I, I am. I need to be off when it happens. Because I yeah. know shot yes. number two. I I'm going down probably. You know. But uh, yeah, last year was crazy because. Each day just ran into each other, you know. Yeah. You know, so I ended up cleaning my basement out. That's where I'm at right now. I couldn't <laughs> even get in here. I couldn't even get down my basement. It become a, just a terrible mess. So I'm rebuilding my studio down here, which is more for radio stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, um, it, there was positive things came out of it, as we you know we talked about. Um, financially, it wouldn't. Would great, but by the grace of God, we all got by. So I can't. I don't know how to even explain that. Yeah, if this would have happened like thirty years ago, forty years ago, where you didn't have connectivity through people through technology, how bad would that have been on people? It would have been really crazy. Yeah, it sure would have. And um, you know, so we are starting back. You know, with, with this new album. Good. That that that's that's a good thing that we've went in the studio. It was a really good thing to get back playing music and interacting with my friends and family. And because um, man, it just it's it was good to have a break. Mm-hmm. You know, we we did, our last official gig last year was mid February. We played the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia, and then we were going to be off for about I don't know about three or four weeks and then we were supposed to start playing but we were hearing about this pandemic you know about the the virus well next thing you know we get home about a, early march all the gigs started moving you know and it, it lost all of our gigs 
you know, and um, so it was just a, a wait, a wait, you know, hurry up and wait thing. That's mm-hmm. what happened for everybody. Right. For everybody. Right. So can you talk about uh, your grandsons in a, in a band there, too, that's coming up? Yeah. Well, my, as I said earlier, my uh, <laughs> I, I, I married 1979. My wife had two kids, Sherry and John. McGee, who are just wonderful and very talented, and both went on to have record deals. <laughs> you know, wow. now wow. they're 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 not in really pursuing music full time right now. But anyway, Sherry's she's got a son named Harlan, and John's got a son named it's crazy man. John's John Ellis. You'll you'll be hearing more about John Ellis McGee. Just just kind of poke that name up there. You'll be hearing about him. Then my little grandson, who's about fourteen, fifteen, Liam. He's a little wonder kid. And they're every one of them to play music. But Harlan and John Ellis have a band called Sour Cream out of Lexington, and I, it's it's a it's a power trio, and um, like cream. Sour cream, cream? Is that what we're going for? Yeah, I guess. Even though musically they, they kind of stretch the uh, perimeters, you know. But they're very talented, very talented kid. Uh, John Ellis is a great drummer, uh, really just smart. Uh, Harlan's a great guitar player. So those two are the most active of the grandkids right there in Sour Cream. But John Ellis is getting out there, poking around. I think you're going to hear more about him. Uh, coming up so i won't say any more but you'll hear something about him maybe maybe in about three or four weeks i think you know i don't want to give anything away that may not happen mm-hmm. you know <laughs> looks like you got a lot of music there behind you yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah my, my 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 stepkids you know they were when i married ruth i didn't know that they were going to be musicians and of course they they jumped into it and they like i say black cat my, my Stepson John had black cat bone. When I was out, I went out and played with Skinner for three weeks. I don't know if you guys knew that. No. Back, oh yeah, I, I subbed for Ed King back in '92. Wow. Yeah, and, and one of the first gigs was in Louisiana, I think Biloxi, and um, black cat bone was on the show. <laughs> <laughs> they were on the show, so they did on that little run I, I did with with uh, Skinner. Uh, they were on, they were on about three or four of those shows. You know, so John, John toured a lot. You know, he's he knows what it's all about. He's with Tell Dragger now. Then we do have a, a little side project we do. Um, of course, my my stepdaughter, she was in Velvet Elvis, as I said earlier. So I'm, yeah, I'm pretty a, sure I've heard of that band before. I couldn't tell you the song, but that sounds familiar when you say they that. they released one album, and you could go out on the internet and find their videos. Sure. And stuff. You could find Black Cat Bone as well. You know, and they, they, they went through it and, you know, I guess at some point they just, you know, decided that they needed to have stable jobs, you know, but uh, they're all still still involved in some, some way, but yeah, the, the grandkids, I think they're, they're ate up with it. So they're in trouble, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually, I was looking at the shelves behind you there. It seems like you got a lot of oh, CDs, Lord. cassettes. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I, can you see as I turn this around? Oh, there's all your vinyl. Can you see nice. my vinyl? Wow. Oh, yeah, you can see all the CDs. Are you seeing all of them? Yeah. And it goes around. and then like this, a record shop. 
Yeah, it does, <laughs> don't it? That's where it's going to be the little radio studio right there. I wouldn't nice. be on my radio show here. But, uh, oh, that's Buster Brown right there. You see those guys on the wall? Mm-hmm. Can you see? That's that's the band yeah. that inspired us. Of course, there's a there's Southern Governor right there. If you there see you that, guy, I, yeah, I, I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. I love I love Patrick and those boys a lot. There's my wife when she was younger, and I was younger too. <laughs> but yeah, you can see Brother Dwayne Allman right there. And One of my Patrick. favorite guitar players. Oh yeah, Dwayne. Dwayne is a inspiration. But this is my this is my sanctuary. You know, I got I got some old stereo. I got three old stereos. In various rooms down here, you know, <laughs> it's it's fun. fun you know, we, we had to take this moment to, to recognize the passing of the man who uh, invented the cassette tape. What he died yesterday? Oh no! Yeah, I can't remember his name. It was all over the place. But the, yeah, yeah, the man who invented too. cassette tape died. How, how old was it, guy? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, he he looked pretty old. I bet he was in his mid mid eighties or so. Man, I got my first cassette little cassette recorder when i was in high school it must have been like 1970 69 or 70 oh, you know wow. those they're cool yeah they yeah, were cool because yeah. the little riddle reels you know you tape yourself and you go oh god that don't sound like me right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cassettes were a big step up you know well well for that ability to do recording right at home and like mess around like you couldn't yeah. do that with a record absolutely well growing up in midcalf county we had, you know, radio, which was mostly AM when I started listening to music, and then uh, like local. And then you, at night, you'd catch stations out of Chicago, Nashville, different stuff like that. But uh, man, TV, you, you might see Creedence Clearwater Revival on Ed Sullivan Show, Steppenwolf, and people like that. But man, records were it, and that was yeah. our um, glimpse into. The big world, so to speak, you know, and uh, then a little later on, uh, eight tracks hit it. <laughs> I thought it was the best when I got my <laughs> mini eight track player. I thought I'd arrived. And then cassettes, you know, cassettes started happening around 70. And then, you know, and then by 72, man, I was buying cassettes, you know, and things like that. So it's easier to carry around and stuff. They didn't quite sound quite as good as records, but a lot easier to. To get places or play in a car, boombox oh, or whatever. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, man. It's a, but I've still got a lot of old cassettes. Uh, I found a couple of interesting A tracks when I was cleaning this summer, and I, I know it's some jams from one of the bands I played with back in the '70s. I've just got to find some way to transfer it over. You know, I talked to one I, of those grandkids of yours. I'm sure shit, they know how to do that. They do, they do. I've got to wonder. Liam is the wonder kid. I got to get him down here to hook up the wiring on this new board into the computer. And then, I, you know, there, there's some compressors for microphones and things like that. So I, I got, I got a lot of work to do down here, you know, still. Well, you I got still the skinny. Have the eight track player. Do I have, no, I don't have an eight track player now. I had a recorder for a while that would play and record. But I finally one day said, you know, it sounds so bad. I got rid of it. <laughs> I gave it to my, I gave it to my stepdaughter Sherry, and she probably kept it for a week. And probably took it to a secondhand store, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Greg. I, I got in Brian. So Lou Audens is the is the inventor of the cassette tape. A Dutch oh. engineer. He okay. died at ninety four. Oh, God but bless he, him. Uh, 
product development manager with Philips. And that's how I guess that's the right. Cassette tape. There you go. So what year did cassettes spring on the market? Oh, shit. Here we go. Did I got to scroll through. That. <laughs> I wasn't so. ready for that one. No, you're good. Um, man, oh, man. man. I, my guess. I have to put reading glasses on. Darn well, it. Hey, I, I wear them all the time. Uh, hey, I, my guess would be late 60s, but it could be 65. I don't know. Uh, we we didn't get things to always two or three years later. 63, the first tape was pre presented me. to the world at an electronics fair in Berlin with a tagline smaller than a pack of cigarettes. 63? 63. Well, you know, I, I had a friend that had a charger. Is that a Plymouth, I guess? Uh, I'm, uh, Dodge? Dodge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dodge? Yeah, Dodge. Yeah. And, he, and he, it had a factory cassette so it was like, wow. like yeah it was cool yeah he had that but i i remember i didn't get my first cassette i was about like a like a sophomore in high school i think it was around 69 or 70 you know but southern kentucky we always bell bottoms came in late here <laughs> you know we always get things a little late <laughs> so god bless the guy that uh lou Oddens from Netherlands. God bless him. Yeah. Here yeah, we got man. one. I don't know what's on this one, but here's one right here. <laughs> there you go. I got, I've got lots of cassettes. I've got shoeboxes full and, and Rubbermaid totes down in my basement right now. In I fact, my, my wife and I just pulled a bunch out. Like for Christmas, I bought her a, a, a modern boombox just as a gag. Like it's got a cassette tape player in it, but then also plays Bluetooth stuff. And then we, we dug out the cassettes. And unfortunately for me, she was a big New Kids on the Block fan as, yeah. as a kid. And we had some, you know, New Kids on the Block and some Debbie yeah. Gibson playing. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God is right. <laughs> well, hey, hey, I came through the 80s and survived it. And uh, I, I don't even know what's popular now. You know, at least, you know, in the 80s and 90s, I kind of knew what sure. was happening. At least I think I did. You know, but of course, I started in the 80s. I started working on Nashville with a, a, a guy that had a label deal, so I had to stay in touch more with the country thing at that point until the Headhunters took off in 89. But, uh, man, I could tell you, I don't even know what's on pop radio now. I have no idea. Well, like going back to popularity, so you guys really hit a big 89, 90 with yeah. your debut album on the Headhunters. You won a Grammy in 90. Yeah. You were you in where I'm getting is you guys have some really fun videos. Like you guys certainly didn't take yourself seriously. You've got some really fun kind of iconic videos. So my question to you is what was it like being, you know, being like the peak of popularity at that point when like music videos and MTV and all this stuff were really at its apex? Well, it was very interesting time because video back in the eighties and into the time we were hitting the market were very pivotal in our success because uh, I remember hearing about CMT. Of course, we, MTV. Yeah. I watched MTV all the time. I did. I saw your videos on MTV. Yeah, 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 they, 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 they did. But when CMT started happening, um, it's, it, 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 it initially was a small independent channel. And then it grew, it grew. But man, CMT really broke our records, you know, broke us into the market. Um, 
Yeah, from you know, because 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 I I don't know, I'm sure videos are still big. I'm sure. But they're but like not, YouTube or like on your website. Yeah, they're not like exactly. on cable. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even turn on MTV anymore. I don't even know what's on there. No, I've got an 18-year-old and a soon-to-be 16-year-old, and neither one of them have ever watched MTV. Like, it's a yeah. dead brand. Oh, gosh. My son, when he was just a baby, uh, I, would, I could set him in his little rocker, and he loved Tina Turner, and he loved Hall & Oates. You know? well, who didn't love Hall & Oates or Tina Turner? Come on. Uh, <laughs> it was great music. I love Hall & Oates. Sure. Great songwriters. You know. And, um, but MTV was really exciting when it hit in the early eighties. It just, it was like a shot in the arm. It really was. And it changed music. Um, I don't know what's, what's going on now. It's crazy because albums are still out there, but it's now it's about streaming people, releasing singles and EPs mostly, you know? So it's, it's just a whole different world. We, we came up, probably the last uh, of the normal time when record deals were, were they're, they're different now. It's just a whole right. different world. It really is. Well, you're making money through touring and selling merchandise, not through yes. streaming or selling yeah. physical media. Yeah, absolutely. And we still, by the grace of God, still see uh, royalties from our early albums. You know, Picking on Nashville has been really good to us. Uh, yeah. You know, I can't complain. And uh, I guess the last album, well, the last album we released on Alligator was uh, Live at Ramblin' Man. And uh, then before that was on Safari, as you've said. And uh, we, I mean, about every three or four years, we'll, we'll spit one out. We'll get together. We'll, we'll hammer out the songs and do it. Looking and forward to this new one, oh, Brian. I think the indeed, new, yeah. I think you guys really like it. It's uh, it's quite diverse. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Can we hear like, a little gear talk? You know, we're both. Jason's a bigger guitar player than me. I play bass yeah, and stuff. I, but it's your main main guitars and rigs, pedals. Uh, I've, I've got I've got a few pedals. I I'm not a pedal guy like you, some of you guys, but I've got a few down on the floor. You see them. I've got some. Old, I mean, I've got a few old pedals. Uh, I've got a lot of old amps and guitars and different guitars. Yeah. So anything you guys want to talk about, I'm game about it. You know. And what what would that be? What's your favorites? What do you? What's My your, favorite guitar. Uh, what do you I've use the like, most in studio or live? Okay. Yeah, what's your number uh, one? My number one that I would use in the studio more than any place is the 1958 Les Paul. Uh, yeah. That came from. Um, it originally, I don't know, it came out of Ohio somewhere, but Ed King had it for a moment, for, for a spell. He sold it at Gruen's, and Hank Jr. bought it, and Hank Jr. gave it to me, and I've had it since 1990, uh, That's one of them. Uh, my 1957 Strat is an absolute monster. I love that guitar. Uh, I've got a, a 64 and a 62. Um, 335s that are really good oh. in the studio. I've got this Ventura Dan Armstrong copy that is amazing for slide. It's just amazing. Um, is it amazing because of the sound or the setup's good? Like it's got a more know. of a square yeah. neck and not rounded? I don't know what it is. A friend of mine, Doug Cook, was on the road with us one weekend. 
And he went to a pawn shop and he found that guitar and he thought, he said, man, Greg's got to have this. He brought it back and it just, it works for slide. Uh, I've had Dan Armstrong's and they don't, they're not near as good as this Ventura. It's just amazing. Yeah. But it's, I used it on about two tracks on the new album, you know, for slide, for slide stuff. Uh, I mean, for the album, what I used mostly was uh, my 58 Les Paul for the lion's share, uh, the 57 Strat. Uh, I played the 62 ES335, and I played the Dan Armstrong, you and... know. And I played into a, mostly on the album, I used two 50s uh, Tweed Deluxe amps chained together. And then on about three or four tracks, I used a 6900 watt Marshall head into a 67 cabinet, you know. So, but I've got, man, I've got all kind of different old Marshall heads starting in 67 going up, you know. <laughs> I, I was getting these things when you get them cheap. Right, right. Now they're, I mean, the yeah. old ones are even more expensive can, than the new ones. Yeah, I can't afford them now. But I've been... <laughs> Me I, either. Yeah, I, I got a lot of good reissue stuff. I like reissues. I got some tellies and, you know, different yeah. things. Yeah. And uh, Richard, though, he plays typically a telly, though. Like, you're more yeah. the Les Paul guy, get the yeah. humbucker. He's more the, yeah. Richard it's a good dynamic. Yes, Richard's got a 52 telly named Danny. After Danny Gatton, because Danny Gatton did a little work on it, and uh, that's a great guitar. He's also got a, a really nice Whitfield telly. He uses live. That sounds great. Plays great. Um, for most of the album, Richard used. Uh, I've got. I own a PRS David Grissom thirty watt head. He used that on a lot of the tracks. It sounded great. And really? He, yeah. He yeah. He played through that. But he played he played my sixty four three thirty five a lot. I've got a three thirty five that was it belonged to Travis Womack who worked in Muscle Shoals, mm -hmm. and it this re, this guitar was on Mac Davis Records, Osmond Brother Records, Wilson Pickett stuff like that. It's just special, you know. And he used that he used that on a few tracks too, you know. But he's typically Richard plays he'll play a three thirty five. But typically he plays a Telecaster, and he's got a good grip on a Telecaster. Better than I do, really. I like Tellys. I go I go into the country mode usually as soon as I pick a Telly up. Oh, sure, right? You know? Well, chicken picking, man, with those. Yeah, you gotta do. I, I love it. I absolutely love chicken picking, and uh, you know. But um, I got all kind. I don't know even what to tell you guys. I've got uh, old black bass <laughs> Bender amps, Super Reverbs, Deluxe Reverbs. Uh, Fiber Lux, Bandmaster Reverbs. Uh, I've got some Tweed Champ amps, uh, you know, from the 50s. And yeah, got, yeah. You know, things like that. And there are, uh, the, most of that stuff is used for the studio for different flavors. And I just picked up a Two Rock amp, um, Matt Schofield Two Rock 50, which is interesting. It's loud, loud and clean. And, um, man, I've got, I don't know, man, I've just got a, I've got a arsenal. Pretty much. So if I asked you, and now we're getting to some of my lightning round questions, I'll have to mark those off the list. But okay. if you could only use one guitar and one amp the rest of your life, what, what, is, what is it going to be? Oh, my Lord. That's... <laughs> I know, a hard question. It would be, I guess it would, it'd have to be between the 57 Strat and the 58 Les Paul. Okay. Oh. Since I grew up with the Les Paul, I guess I'd have to say the 58 Les Paul into a Marshall, an old Marshall, I guess. But then the Marshall's going to kill everybody, right? 
<laughs> that's a classic rock sound though uh, a les paul right now marshall i mean you really don't yeah. need pedals and stuff with that that is a rock sound exactly uh, i really appreciate guys that use pedals and matter of fact i, I um, i'm gonna have a sick you know about you know the otis guys they've got yeah. a, yep. some signature pe- pedals yeah Yep. I'm doing a, I'm getting a signature pedal made, uh, which will be basically the front end of a Echoplex preamp. Okay. Yeah. So, so I could use that with smaller fenders in the studio and things like that. So that's going to be happening in the next few months, you know. But I've got, I got some old Wawas from the, you know, 60s and 70s. I love Wawas. I love flangers, uh, Univibes and things. I don't have an old Univibe. You can do a little Van Halen with your flanger, man, right? <laughs> I love Van Halen, man. I never could. Who doesn't love Especially Van Halen? Now I can't see. I can't see to to do all that. <laughs> the tap. My grandson can do it. I can't do it, man. Uh, hey, when Eddie, when I was playing with Itchy Brother in uh, 1977, I was listening to uh, the rock station out of Nashville one night. It could have been 78, and they played "Eruption" by Van Halen into "You Really Got Me." And I went, oh, God, the the games have changed. It was a game changer, you know, which I never I never could do the finger tapping thing. I, but I, I do love Eddie Van Halen. He had a tone. He had a great he was a very original original. Yes, he was. He's great. man. Um, my, I guess my biggest rock influence in the 70s was Ronnie Montrose. Uh, yeah, Montrose Page. Yeah. You yep. know, but man, you could you can add Dwayne and Dickie in there, different people. You know, if you say Jimmy Page, though, I mean, come on, like, what guitar player this time has not been Jimmy Page? I mean, he's the, he one was, of the greatest ever. He was, what's the word? He was. Uh, well, he was revolutionary too, because yeah, different he was. tunings and playing the bow and doing this and doing that. And, oh yeah, man. I, I mean, I'm guilty of trying to do the bow. Thing. Sure. Who isn't? <laughs> I messed up a, more than a few sets of guitar strings, you know, with that rosin, which was crazy. But I'll, I'll tell you guys, in, when the song Remains the Same was released, I'm guessing it was early 77. And I, re- I didn't have a job at that point. Uh, no, it, it, may, it may have been actually, I don't know what month it was. but I'd You're talking about the movie, though, not like the, the soundtrack movie, and all that. Okay. The yeah. movie. I saw the movie before I actually saw Zeppelin Live. But... I saw, I went and watched that movie twice and it just had an impact on me. It really did. And, um, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Page, he's one of the guys, you know, he had the Les Paul, you know, into a Marshall and that's exactly what I wanted. Billy Gibbons too. I love Billy Gibbons a lot, you know? Yeah. There's so many, you can mention somebody. You got your start at a great time with rock music and and musicians, man. Like, and that's my favorite times, like the late sixties through the seventies and through most of the eighties, man. Because there were innovators, innovators, original bands, like classic stuff, historic stuff. Like, I don't think we're going to see that anymore, unfortunately. But you just you lived the prime, the prime times. As I tell people, we were breathing the air. You know, the same air those guys were. Even though I, we we didn't get to really meet any of those people, some of those we met later. You know, uh, we were lucky enough to to get to know them. But of course, there was some of them didn't make it through. Yeah. We lost Wayne Almond way too early. Yep. 
Jimmy uh, Hendrix way too early. Oh gosh, Jimmy Hendrix is just phenomenal, man. Could you imagine what what would his career have looked like if he lived? Like, what well, would he be doing with a guitar, like in the nineties? It would have been great. He would have been. I don't know where you know if he would have taken care of himself and hadn't got too drugged out. It would have been really great. I like the direction. A lot of people don't like Band of Gypsies, but I like where he was going with his. Yeah, music. I liked it. You know, this a lot of people you know cite that. Man, the first records were amazing. You know, uh, Are You Experienced, Acts as Bold as Love, and, and uh, Electric Ladyland, they were phenomenal, phenomenal. A lot of psychedelic leanings, but it was really blues dressed in a psychedelic Nehru shirt. Psychedelic blues, yeah. Yeah, psychedelic blues. That was the, and, what was going on culturally, too, though. That's just a sign of the times. It was. It was, man. It was such an exciting time. That's what I'm saying. When, when I really... Even though I was listening to music and I loved music and radio, uh, and but man, there's just something happened in '67. It started really getting progressive, and I just I got it just hit me in '68. And man, at that time there were so many great players started springing out there. I mean, you know, into '69, '70, man, you 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 know you'd hear when I heard Led Zeppelin. I got the first Led Zeppelin album on a trade. I, I was in a record club and I got the Crosby, Stills and Nash album, Deja Vu, which was a great album, by the way. But another friend had got Led Zeppelin one. He didn't like it. And I said, I'll trade you. I'll trade you. And and I stuck on uh, the Led Zeppelin album. And I think Good Times, Bad Times came. Yeah, out. that's like the first song in that <sighs> album. God, I never heard anything like that ever. And man, and his solos, like on Communication Breakdown, and then you get Led Zeppelin too. they just kept moving forward, you know. Uh, of course, Cream. I loved, absolutely loved Israeli Gears, Fresh Cream. Um, Goodbye Cream was great, but Wheels of Fire was phenomenal. Um, Jeff Beck group, Truth mm-hmm. and Beck Ola were great. Michael Bloomfield. Are y'all familiar with Michael Bloomfield? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. He was a Chicago boy, but he he was a great blues player. Uh, man, I mean, there's just so many. And then discovering, you know, Dickie and Dwayne. Uh, and you can't say enough about Gary Rosington and, and Alan. Yeah. Yep, you know, yeah. they're they're great, too. I feel like we were very kind of kindred spirits, you know. They hit the scene way before we did, but we, we kind of grew up the same time, you know. Mm-hmm. So... But it was an exciting time. We were breathing that air and hearing that stuff as it hit. It was just exciting, you know. And it made us, you know, the cool thing is um, the creams and zeppelins and things like that made us go back and and do some research and go, okay, this who's Muddy Waters, who's Howlin' Wolf, yeah, you know, right, like that. And the guys, they were doing their songs. Yeah, they're doing their songs, and. Maybe Zeppelin didn't credit him initially, but I think the lawyers took care of that. (laughs) You know, but uh, it was an exciting time. Uh, And I still, I mean, most of my music is based on that era we're talking about, except for some blues. I got a lot of blues too, you know. But uh, great times, man. Heck yeah. And I I think initially we're talking about Jimmy Page, just the image of him with a low slung 59 Les Paul into that stack of marshals you go what else is there anything cooler than that wearing a wizard costume <laughs> <laughs> those yeah, dragon saw, pants remember those yeah. oh gosh yes man <laughs> I, even, I saw the movie i sat by myself 
and, I, and it was over. I went back. I didn't have much money at all at that point, but I went back and paid and watched it again. And there's one segment on there uh, that just hit me since I've been loving you. Oh, you know, the beginning of that where he's just firing off at flurry of notes. It just hit me. I said, God, that's got to be the greatest thing to ever happen. And and he was he he was not a precise player. No, he was sloppy, but it yep. was something just totally work. cool about what he did. He was reckless in a good way. He, he had he had attitude and soul in his playing. Of course, Jimmy Page was an amazing composer, along with studio Robert. musician. Like he's a oh, yeah. magician he, in the studio. He was a magician and a musician. Yep. You know. And uh, he made a big impact. Ronnie Montrose. I heard that first Montrose album in 73. You guys ever heard that album? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that album just blows me away to this day, man. You know. They, only, they didn't even, they only had a couple albums, didn't they? They, they weren't a super long career. Well, the initial band was uh, Sammy Hagar. Sammy right Hagar, yeah. Denny Carmassi and the, I can't think of the bass player right off the bat. They only did two albums together. Like Rock and, Candy, right? That was one of the big oh, yeah. ones. Yeah. 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 And I got to be friends with Ronnie. He was a, a really good, he was a mentor. We'd be, he used to really, you know, kind of encourage me. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, I've always assumed that it was a, he must have had double stack marshals in the studio and and i found out later when he talked we he said oh no he said i had a 310 bandmaster from the 50s that's the whole album okay it's a big sound coming out of that yeah hands and heart brother you know that's what it's all about but uh yeah so many great players man you could just you could just mention one i could tell you what the impact they had on me i'm sure you know Seriously, you, man, yeah. you're you're my kindred spirit with all these guys and all these things. And oh, I love this stuff, man. Me too. I grew up in the wrong decade. <laughs> well, how old are you guys? I'm 45. I'm 51. What year were you born? 69. Oh, 75. Okay, yeah, you guys. Well, yeah, you guys. But you you love it now. That's fine, man. I loved it when I was a kid. Like Zeppelin's yeah. always been one of my favorite bands oh, from like gosh. junior high on. My dad loved Hendrix and Clapton, yeah, and like yeah. I got in like Derek and the Dominoes, and oh, Derek all and these Dom- different things from from my dad. I love Derek and the Dominoes. You know, when they first came out, I didn't quite understand what they were doing because I I want to hear uh, <laughs> I want to hear Clapton in his SG or his three thirty five cranking through a two or three stacks of Marshalls doing that thing. So when he when that first solo album came out. In 1970, I believe, early 70, produced by Delaney Bramlett mm-hmm. uh, with After Midnight. I remember hearing that song on the radio one night, and I didn't, I'm going, I don't, I didn't know who was singing, but as soon as that guitar hit so long, I knew that was Clapton. I could tell by the vibrato, and I thought, oh, that's cool. But that album didn't really hit me till later in life, and Derek and the Dominoes initially didn't hit me real hard, but I'll tell you, that's a deep album, that album. It's like the Almond Brothers, you know. It's one amazing. of my favorite all-time records. It is. It's amazing. It's an amazing album. And one of the reasons I have a '57 Strat is just that tone, you know, which he was playing through. Uh, best we know, Clapton was playing through a little tweed champagne for the whole album, you know. And actually, Delaney Bramlett, I was friends with Delaney. Oh no, kidding! He, yeah, I knew Delaney. Delaney and Bonnie is a good group. 
Oh, yeah, I know both of them. Uh, of course, Delaney's gone now, but he told me I, I spent some time out of his farm or his ranch in California a few years ago. And uh, he said he said that on that first album called Eric Clapton, that, that was also they were using champ amps as well. You know, I like to study things like that. You know, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people think the bigger amps make the bigger sound, but I think the little amps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why you record well once so you don't blow out your recording equipment too, because the sound is actually better. That's right, man. Little amps work out; they work out fine. I would have never. There again, when I was, you know, running around the seventies, I thought oh, you got to have at least three stacks of Marshalls in the <laughs> studio, which is crazy, you know. It could I mean, be like one of those '80s metal bands that have the cardboard ones they just put on stage and make it look like there's a wall of Marshalls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clapton's guitar tech, uh, Lee Dixon. We 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 know him real well, and actually, he came out and worked for us for about seven or eight months uh, I don't know what year 2010 when he left Clapton and uh, he said when they did the cream reunion that everybody was wondering where the marshals were and the all that. and they had like a little marshal stack on top of one of Clapton's racks or something you know so here it is right here <laughs> but uh, hey man looks of the trade yeah yeah music uh, it's ever changing and a lot of these younger guys coming up uh, Blackstone Cherry, they they know where it's at. Otis knows where it's at. Um, Georgia Thunderbolts. Oh yeah, they're great too. I love oh, those man. guys. Oh man, oh, they they're good, they're good dudes too. I mean, the band's the great, band. but they're good they're dudes. The I, I I the guitar that Les Paul Riley has, I sold that to him. That's yeah, what he said us. when we had him. Yeah, told us. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great guitar. I bought it just on a whim from Dave's guitar shop. And uh, it was a great guitar. Is that the one in Illinois? Is that right? Uh, Dave's Guitar Shop is in Wisconsin. LaCroix. Wisconsin, that's it. Wisconsin. Your, uh, your guys' like, rehearsal space is kind of famous for that area, is it not? I no think it, that's, where, that's where Blackstone Cherry, they started doing all their stuff in there. And, and I think when we interviewed uh, Riley and TJ, TJ was actually up there in Kentucky in, in that practice place. Yeah. So yeah, can you talk about that? I'd love to see it because I know like the Skinner to Hell House doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, the old practice house. I mean, my first time I jammed with Richard that, that I remember, uh, I jammed with Richard, his brother Fred, of course, and it was a, a bass player named Steve Perkins. We practiced in that old house. That was in 1968, right then. That's the first time I remember. Uh, yeah, it, we used it, and I think it was a brief time when there was a family moved in, and we didn't use it, but man, by the 70s, by the mid-70s, uh, well, hey, wait a minute, there was a, I can't, I have to go back, but we used it back all through high school, and, and they, I don't know, it was just a brief time where they, they, they had to let somebody live there, I think, I, I don't know what the story is on that, but yeah, it's been a big part of our lives, yeah. Of course, we practiced there, wrote there. Um, Blackstone Cherry, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Thunderbolts, I'm sure yeah, they've been up there, too. Yeah. Uh, TJ, TJ is actually, uh, he's co-wrote a couple of songs on his new album, I think. He's part oh, of it. Oh, no Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played keyboards on a couple of songs. Yeah. You know? Nice. Yeah. yeah, great guys. It was uh was John Fred on the on the road with you guys like when he was baby oh, yeah. or a little oh, kid? Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. John Fred would go on the road with us. Chris had been on the road with us. Yeah. I think Ben too, maybe, you know. 
Yeah. How many drumsticks does John Fred break during a performance? Quite a few. <laughs> he is a, a monster. monster. Wow. He's amazing, man. He just, he just, um, as soon as he gets behind the drum kit, man, he becomes another person, you know. Oh. It's, it's, it's real. It's That's fun for to sure. watch. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing rock and roll drummer, man. Do you uh, have a favorite blues player? Wow. There again, it's hard to say that because it could change any given day. I would have to say maybe, let me give you two or three names together. Maybe B.B. King and Michael Bloomfield. That represents two genres in a way. B.B. King is pretty much where that the style that we love, like Clapton, and those guys pretty much got it from B.B. It came from that. But Michael Bloomfield had made a big impact on me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a clip on YouTube of you playing Deep Ellen Blues with Blackberry Smoke. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Charlie and the guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. How long have you known those guys? I know I read Charlie was saying in an interview that that it was like uh, Fred that, you know, introduced those guys to say, you know, here, this is my boy's band, Black Blackstone Cherry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I started hearing about that. We, we, we were doing some touring with those guys back around 2003. And I didn't really get to know him that well back then. I was my, my dad was real sick during that time. And I I remember I would stay at the hotel during the day, you know, uh, talking back home, family and stuff like that. But we were doing some touring with those guys. And I remember one night, I can't remember where it was at, somewhere in Ohio. I think it was Ohio, some big motorcycle fest. We played with those guys and we did a jam at the end of the night, you know. Or maybe it was the end of their set. We played some ACDC song together. I don't know what it was, but I absolutely love Charlie and Paul and those guys a lot. They're a great band. Really. Uh, yeah. They're a true Southern band. Yeah. Really. Uh, Brian and I love them. They're one of our favorites that are out well, there right now playing. They encompass the things that Southern rock should have. And a lot of, a lot of uh, the thing that's missing in some Southern rock bands is the country element. You know, mm-hmm. I think country has to be there, mm-hmm. you know, to stay. Almond Brothers had it. Yeah. You know, Skinner had it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Hall said, Jimmy Hall's a buddy of mine. He said when they were touring with Skinner that Ronnie Van Zant was constantly listening to Merle Haggard. Mm-hmm. That was, and matter of fact, Gary Rosington told me the same thing. He said if the, if he had lived, there would have been a time when Ronnie would have done a country album at some point. Mm-hmm. I could see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. country is a very you know I'm talking about the real country. I'm not talking right. about this pop country like now. Stuff, you yeah. know? but the the real country is a big part of what Southern rock should be. You know, blues and rock. You know, and all yep. that. Mm-hmm. And Charlie and Blackberry Smoke they encompass that. They, they've got it. You know, I think they're mm-hmm. a true Southern gentlemen for sure. They're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, they are. They are. They're great guys, and they're great guys too. We've heard that from everybody that knows them. You know, you hear nothing but positivity. Oh, those yeah. guys? Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're great, man. Warren Haynes. I love Warren. I've known Warren. Warren. Mm-hmm. I met Warren man. the first time in 1982 when he was with David Allen Cole. I was out with Ronnie McDowell. I was playing. We were playing in Memphis at the Orpheum, and he was playing. we we become buddies then. And then I didn't see him for a number of years, but he, uh, gosh, Warren Haynes is a hoss. Man, you know? he can do anything, too. That dude, super talented. One of the smartest guys you'll ever meet, and he never forgets anything. It's just a sweetheart. Sweetheart, man. You know, um, gosh, man. 
there's so many. You know, we've been very blessed to get to know the Skinner guys. And um, I don't, I can't, besides Warren and O'Teal, I never really got to know any of the other brothers that well. Mm-hmm. You know, wished I had of. Yeah. Speaking of Haas, I mean, the, the radio station there, the 99.1 FM, the Haas. And I usually, we were talking about FM radio earlier, and I, I can't remember the last time that I've listened to FM radio because, but that seems pretty cool to me that they're letting a great show like that be on the air. You know, I mean, it. Steve's uh, show. A, yeah. Well, yeah, Steve and Boone both have got great show. Have you heard Boone's show as well? No, I haven't. Did you know Boone has a show? No, I just. Oh, oh it's amazing, man. Um, I'm trying to think if he's got any archived anywhere he does a show on saturday night he's really now steve is more he brings he's interviewing people and he's showcasing a lot of newer bands and things like that where my my, my show the lowdown hoedown is yeah. kind, of, kind of like kind of like boons it's we, we'll cover some modern stuff, but I think Steve is more, it's about education. He's trying to educate people. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing that that station in Edmonton is letting them do that. Yeah. They both got really, really good shows. How both. did your show start come about? My show, the roots of it, the Lowdown Hoedown initially started in November 1997 at a station in Campbellsville, Kentucky, uh, WVLC. And I was there two and a half years. And um, my engineer decided he, at that point, I didn't run the board. I just put the show together every week and he would run the board and cue when it was time to talk. And he quit. I said, okay, I'm going to take a break. And then about a year later, I started at WDNS. I started at WDNS in uh, November of 2001. So I've been there. I've been doing my show close to 20, well, 22 years at least, you know, a lot that long. And um, I've been at WDNS since, like, say, November, and uh, we're just now starting. Boone works with me on some of the social media producing, and uh, we're going to eventually get into some syndication at some point. I'm not sure how yet or where, but we're just going through uh, legalizing some things you know make sure we're protected and stuff like that mm-hmm. before we get going that far you know right on, right on. it's fun i figured this radio is something i can do when the touring days are over i can just keep doing it unless i can't talk anymore and then i'm mm-hmm. done i'll not get the moon let him run with it <laughs> you know would you ever have like a little blues band play like local blues festivals um oh yes man i pl- even over the years, even with the Headhunters, man, I've, I've had different bands, as you know, I've played with the Head Rufus Huff, which wasn't a blues band. Initially, it kind of was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I played with a, a band out of Louisville called Stray Cat Blues Band. Not the Stray Cats, right. but that was a stomp blues band, you know, and we played some blues festivals, we played blues clubs and just different things. Yeah, yeah, man, blues is a big part of what I love, you know, I mean, it is pretty much... Uh, I guess it's my biggest influence, I would think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I think blues would be. Blues, country, and rock, those three I mean, things. a lot of your songs, too, in the Headhunters are really have a, a blue, you know, like oh, a one yeah. four five, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know, pretty traditional blues shuffles and, and riffing. Oh, yeah. All the guys in the Headhunters love blues. Absolutely. Yeah. They love rock, too. I mean, we just, you know, uh, 
we were lucky we all found each other when we did, you know, that cause we all had the same interest, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we got a lot, a lot of the same interests musically. But yeah, blues. Yeah, Rufus Huff, when we got together, it, I thought it, you know, I thought it was going to be a fun little blues band, but it turned into kind of a more of a rock blues thing, which is mm-hmm. great, you know. I liked it. I enjoyed yeah. it. Any plans for that again? or? Well, it's, it, it, the problem is there is the drummer, mm-hmm. he, it's, you just don't know when he can do things because of his health. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, I think if we done anything, you know, with the headhunters getting ready to gear back up, it'll be hard to do a whole lot. I'm, I'm doing mm-hmm. this other thing with Johnny McGee and Dean Smith from Tail Dragger called Martin mm-hmm. Smith McGee. That's my side project right now. Okay. The headhunters is the mothership. Right. Oh, of course. You know, the mothership. Yeah. Then, um, then when I can do other things, you know, my, my stepson, uh, matter of fact, there's, there'll be a CD at some point released. I don't know what label yet, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. Rufus Huff, I just don't know if we could ever have a chance to ever really gear back up like we did at one time. We played a lot at one time mm-hmm. and released the one album. There's some good live tracks that, uh, laid back that maybe we could re-release sometime. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. I think it might be that part of the show for Jason to go into his his uh, you know random questions lightning round. So take it away, Jason. Okay. Greg, turn, catch I'm your breath. Turn, I'm turning up the volume. Go ahead, there. All right, catch your breath. This, you know we do we do some lightning rounds. So first answer that comes into your head on these. Okay, don't overthink it. Are you yeah. ready? Yes, sir. Okay. What's the first album you ever purchased? Herman's Hermits on Tour. Wow. Bought at King's Record Shop in 1965. Nice. In Louisville. First first, life. Go ahead. First 45 I bought was California Girls by the Beach Boys. Nice. You know, I was going to ask about the Beach Boys earlier, and I I forgot to, and there you go. I love the Beach Boys. Who doesn't? They're good Southern California boys. There you go. (laughs) You know what? They sing always about having a good time, and you can always appreciate that. I love that band. I love Brian Wilson. He's one of my heroes, man. Yeah, go ahead. Um, first live concert you attended? The Loving Spoonful Memorial Auditorium, November 1966 in Louisville. Look, yeah. Your memory's great. I can't even remember, like, some of my shit. There's some things I need to forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Fender or Gibson? Oh, gosh. I got to say Gibson because... Uh, Hank the Plank, my 58 Les Paul, and Gibson did a copy of that. Gibson's been real good to me. Yeah. All right. I, I love I love both, but I'm a Gibson guy myself. Um, uh, yeah. You know, it's it's they can do everything. Not that Fender can't, but there's something to be said for a lot of great, too. Matter of fact, I was talking to a, a representative from Fender today about buying one of the low-power twin uh, tweet amps, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think, about, yeah, yeah, man, the guys that affected me most played Gibsons early on. Hendrix affected me, but he just transcends any kind of genre. I don't even know how to describe that. That's he transcends the, whatever guitar he's playing. He the guitar, holds, it's not, yeah, he's like holding the old the whole universe and that we exist in. He still does, you know. Yep. That's all I can say about him. Yeah. If you could play with anyone for one night, who would it be? Eric Clapton. Nice. <laughs> Like solo Clapton or like Cream Clapton or another like other Clapton. Oh, just Denny Eric Clapton. Just Clapton, whatever. I've never 
met him. He walked by me at a Grammy show one time, and I was too startled to even say anything. But, yeah, if I could play with anybody, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many great guys out there, but I think he would be it, yeah. Well, if I run into him, I'll tell him, because I live just outside of Columbus, Ohio, and he loves lives in Columbus, Ohio. So if I see him, I'll let him know. He lives in Germantown, correct? Um, German well, Village, yeah. German. I, know I didn't know that. Hey, wow. I, well... <laughs> The reason I know that, I got some friends that live up there, and they see him running around. Have you ever seen him up there? No, I've not. But I have friends that have seen him up there. And and my buddy Michael Ivey, who is a, a, a video guy, his wife is just a Debbie. She's amazing. She said, uh, oh, well, I'll, we'll find his house. And I'll, 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 I'll just walk up to it. And I, d- I doubt if you could even get through the front. I was going to say, I don't think you probably could just walk yeah. up to it, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, if you see Eric, you tell him I said hi. I will. <laughs> I will. Greg wants to be on the Crossroad Blues Festival at some point, man. Come on, get him on. Yeah, I just want to play blues. Let me play blues or tune your guitar or something. <laughs> you know, I don't even have to play. I'll just, just carry them. You know? Next question Skinner or Allman Brothers? Well, I would have to say Almond Brothers. <laughs> All right, I yeah. Skinner. I love Skinner, but the Almond Brothers were the first love out of those two bands. And they yep. made it, when I heard Statesboro Blues, I went, okay, I get this band. When that shuffle started, they yep. had, you know, and uh, hey, man, I love Skinner too. They're like brothers to me. So, but Just because you choose one doesn't mean you don't like the other. This is the first right. one thing that comes to your, your mind when I say it. There you go, man. No. All right, here's a, here's another one. Beatles or Stones? Uh, Beatles. Um, I would have figured you chosen Stones. I'm surprised. Stones. No, I'll tell you a hard question, but the biggest emotional impact were made by the Beatles for me. And that was a part of why I chose to be a musician, uh, seeing them on Ed Sullivan and then just seeing how they grew. But I love the Stones. It's the same thing, man. You know, they grew too, but there was just an emotional thing that happened when I heard the Beatles. I could just, I can just think about where I was when I heard, just like I, the birds. Yeah. The birds. The first time I heard "Turn, Turn, Turn," I, I was walking down Barry Boulevard in Louisville, heard that little transistor radio on that Rickenbacker twelve string. I went, "Oh my lord!" You know, I can tell you certain things about the first time I heard "Whole Lot of Love" by Led Zeppelin or "Mississippi Queen" by Mountain. You know, different things like that. Oh, man, you know, uh, R.I.P. or Leslie West, too. What another loss. Oh, God. Yeah. I love Leslie. Got to know Monster. him a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard he's a great dude, too. He was. He was a New Yorker. He come off, kind of come off loud and abrasive, but he wasn't that way at all. Yeah. Uh, I met him the first time. Uh, one of our incarnations of Itchy Brother played main street in murfreesboro around 1980 81 and we opened up for leslie it was supposed to be mountain it was, he was the only one in it at that time and and uh his guitar player he had a rhythm player said uh, man leslie wants to borrow your amplifier and i thought oh how cool i had this yamaha g100 amplifier and i thought oh how cool well basically he had had a hemorrhoid operation that week and he had to have something to set on so you <laughs> He, he didn't want to play through it just to sit on it. <laughs> he sat on my amp. And then we met him. And coming down the hall, he said, nice guitar you got. <laughs> <laughs> he called, uh, Corky Lang called me one night in this very room. 
and him and Leslie were getting ready to go on TV. On, I don't know what they were going, some show. And and uh, Corky said, hey, Leslie, this is Greg with the Headhunters. Oh, I know you guys. You guys are ugly. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, but you're the good looking one. I said, no. <laughs> Leslie was great, man. He was great. He was a great loss, man. Great loss. Yeah. Um, who's the coolest musician you've met? Billy Gibbons. All right. Yeah, good answer. Yeah. Billy Gibbons, man. He's the king. He's a, he's a, he, he encompasses everything we want to be. Really? Still. Great. Yeah. I've met, I've met Jeff Beck, but Jeff's a little quiet. He's English quiet. I, I'm going to give that to Gibbons. He gets the crown. All right. I think it's a great answer. Yeah. Um, Ryman or the new Grand Ole Opry? Oh, the Ryman. Okay. All right. Thank you. I was going to kick you off if you answered, if you answered the new <laughs> Grand Ole Opry. Like both of them, but the Ryman's it. Yeah. The Ryman's it, man. It's and so, it was a church. I mean, how can you not choose that? Some other church. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Great place. All right. This this one, um, I want to I want to hear something good on this one. So music that you like that we'd be surprised to know that you like. Could be an artist, song, whatever. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Wow. I probably got a lot of that. Well, I love Hollow Notes, but that's I don't think that's, that's not that's not a guilty pleasure. I would not be surprised you like them. No, let me think. What would it be? Of course, the Beach Boys. I love Pet Sounds. I don't think that's surprising. Everybody should love that, right? That's right. Uh, pleasures. The Carpenters. Oh, there you go. Okay, and yeah. Bread. I love the Carpenters, and I love Bread. It's the songs. There again, a great song will take you back to a period in your life. Yeah. You know? And I can remember the first time I heard... Uh, um, Close to you about the carpenters. <laughs> I was going to see my first girlfriend. <laughs> oh, but there you go. Right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good thing because we're still friends, you know. Yeah. And Brett had a big hit too. And I'm trying to remember the name of the song. It was like a weird name of a song, like um, Galadriel. Or no, no, it wasn't that. It was a uh, well. They had Make It With You. They had uh, oh Guitar Man. They had uh, oh oh I know what you're. Uh, I can blank it. It's a girl's name, right? Yeah. I've got that. <laughs> Brian's looking like. <laughs> well, Aubrey, <laughs> and then, was then cool. ba Baby, I'm a Want You, that oh, one. Baby, I'm a Want You. <laughs> I love that song. Come on. It's a good song, but the name of the title is just goofy. <laughs> yeah, I gotta love that. That's David. Come on. That's David Gates. He wrote that. I know. I'll, I never met him. Um, the other guy was named Griffin. Uh, James Griffin. Yeah. The other guy. But that was a great band. That was right. <laughs> they really weren't bad. So, yeah, the Carpenters, that, that would be some guilty pleasures. My dad has some Brett oh, albums, too. I've heard Brett. Olivia Newton-John. I like her. Wow. <laughs> and good to look at, too. Nothing wrong Man, with that. I like some of the Bee Gees disco stuff. Don't shoot me. Yeah, but the beat, but listen, the Bee Gees were as good as you're going to get on that stuff, too, man. They had great, good tracks. Right. They're right. one well, of the like bands I grew up on, the Bee Gees and, well, the Beatles, ELO, Bee Gees, and Kiss. That BG's documentary that came out on HBO or whatever is really good. Like last couple months, if you guys haven't seen it, try to check it out. It's, it's great. Um, chic, I like chic. No, there not. you go. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that yeah, maybe maybe that would surprise some people. Maybe not. You like know. you're a big disco fan. 
Waylon is just I played. I'm not ashamed to tell you, I played in a disco band, but it was a good disco band. Glad you had a Wawa wah pedal, man. Yeah, I love Wawa. I love funk Wawa. Uh, man, I played in a horn band around 79 into 80. Uh, and these guys were all schooled musicians. And I they worked my butt off because I had come out of a rock and roll background, which was good. And it taught me some discipline. It taught me about playing for the song. Of course, going into Nashville and playing the country thing for a while was a whole different trip, too. But yeah, I did the disco train for a minute. You know, <laughs> I jumped on that train. And Man's thank God, eat. country and disco and whatever, it helped pay the bills. I, sure. I can't. Yeah, the I, man's got to eat. Nothing wrong with that. My family ate, you know, and I'm very, very fortunate, you know, I got to do that. So what's <laughs> next on the elusive list? <laughs> That's one of my favorite questions to ask people, though. I just like to hear what people say. Man, I, I could I could probably like Herman's Hermits. I love Herman's Hermits. Well, you said that was one of your earlier records or something that you you had too. So oh God, yes. Uh, some people might look at them as kind of bubble gum, but they were really they were really. But, you know what? Good pop music. Anybody should be able to appreciate that. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm not much on rap. I never have connected with rap at all. Not me, but like I liked some early '80s stuff. Like some Run DMC things were okay. Then like uh, I I liked, which isn't really rap, but um, sure. Um, Rage Against the Machine a little bit in the '90s. You know, I like those guys, but you know me either. But you know what? Each to their own. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, right. I, I wake up, you know, and there'll be something on my mind. You know, it may be. Uh, like I say, I love Hall and Oates. I, I think Daryl Hall and John Oates wrote some great songs. And oh, I've some had, of the best. I had John Oates on my radio show many years ago. And I could get John, I'm mean, not John, but Daryl. I was friends with uh, T-Bone, his bass player. He passed on. And uh, he was going to set it up for John, uh, for Daryl to call in. And that may still happen. If I find, figure out how to get find, go through his management. Well, have you guys played at Daryl's house before? No, we've never. Maybe that'll happen sometime. He I needs like to have him. you guys out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daryl's great. Daryl's a great soul singer. I mean, they're 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 really great. It's just great music. Come on. Oh man. hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to look at some albums over here that might surprise people, but I don't know, man. Most of it. Uh, I'm looking at these box sets. There's some like I've got uh, Merle Travis, Chet Atkins. You know. I think the disco stuff's good though. I think that's. I think those are good answers. I played disco, you know, and it taught me how to play rhythm. It really did. Because that's what, it's, now, yeah, it's all rhythmic, all of it, right? It's with the beat. Niles Rogers is one of the finest rhythm guitar players you'll ever, and a great composer. Uh, the guy in um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, the left-handed guy, he's great. Uh, Bruce Conti with Tower Power, an amazing guitar player. He's not with yeah. him now. He's a, he retired from the road. He's a great soulful r and B. I love Jimi Hendrix. He was a great rhythm player. He had everything, though, yep, didn't he? He had everything. everything. You know, but we can learn something from about every genre. Some genres you can learn to just run. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you were speaking, of, you mentioned Kiss a while ago. Um, of course, early on, we all like Kiss and, and appreciate them. Um, at an award show many years ago at a party, I met Gene Simmons. Not Gene. No. Paul, Paul Stanley. Oh, okay. Okay, Paul. <laughs> I, I never, 
I do don't get Brian people. going on Gene Simmons. He's got a sore spot with him. <laughs> I don't. I don't know Gene. Don't know him. Uh, but, I, but I met Paul Stanley, and I walked right into him, and he knew who we were. He said, "Hey, yeah, we like your band. We've got your out. We got picking on Nashville on the bus." And I thought, "That's really? cool. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Kiss oh. was listening to us. Um, I knew Bruce Cooper, who played guitar for him for a little bit. Yeah. Grand Funk. Is he the one that passed, Bruce? Yeah. Yeah. No, his brother wasn't his brother oh. Bob. His brother passed away. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bruce plays yeah, Bruce the Grand Funk. Funk is still with us. Uh, versus with Grand Funk whenever yep. they get back together. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Next question then. What's your What's the favorite album of yours that you've that you've recorded? Oh, that. Um, well, I would would tell you, Soul. But I'm thinking this new one might be. Okay. No be called. You know. Uh, it's like Led Zeppelin Four. There's no name for it. It's just the album. You know. Uh, uh, TJ said, he said, won't y'all call it the Gray Album? <laughs> <laughs> That's so ageist. I'm, the, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the new album I like a lot. I, I, I always loved the album Soul that we did. Okay. It had, it had a great spirit about it. Um, I'm not saying that all of them didn't, but, 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 but Soul had, it, and it probably sold very few copies, but it had a, it never was really promoted properly by the label. I'm not blaming the label. Of course, we come at them with a, a multi-genre album. They didn't know what to quite do with us, you know. Because at that point, we're like, well, we're not really a country band. We're, we're kind of more of a rock band. Right. But I, right. I, think, I think maybe the new album, is it may be my favorite because the yeah. band has grown, you know. All right. Well, we yeah. can't wait to hear that one then. Thank you. Yeah, I, hope, I look forward to you guys hearing it. All right. What is your favorite venue to play? Um, I really love the plaza here in Glasgow. It's just got a really great vibe about it. That's local. But if, if it was anywhere else. No, just your favorite one. Just your, fa like, your favorite. I like plaza. I feel okay. home at the plaza. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have one last short question, then one longer question, story question. Sure. Whatever. To round us out here, what's your, favorite, what's your favorite sports team? Oh gosh, I'm so out of it. On it have to be the uh, it have to be the, the UK basketball team, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I, you know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna You're from Louisville. Could it be you know Louisville's basketball team or something? I'm gonna admit something, man. I am so uneducated on modern sports. Now, when I was growing up, if you'd asked me that question in 1965, I would undeniably tell you it'd be the New York Yankees. Okay. I loved baseball as much as I loved music until I, I was playing at Churchill Downs one day out in the field there. Where we, you could sneak over and play out in the field. And I got hit by a line drive, and I said, okay, that's it for me. <laughs> but I love baseball. I really love baseball, but I, I've lost track with sports. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, I'm a Cincinnati guy, so I'm a big Reds fan, Wildcats, you know. And I guess I have to say the UK Wildcats, right? Okay. Yeah. I think they lost today. Aren't they done? Like, did they lose today? All right, never. We'll pass on that. Okay. I don't even know, man. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm terrible on sports. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm not like Steve Gorman with the Black Crow. Right. He could. He could hold a conversation about anything, but sports, he knows about. And I if, don't. 
Brian, I'm telling you right now, if we get Steve on here, we will devote a section to talking. I think you get Steve. If you get Steve. We're trying. Well, if you, y'all know somebody. <laughs> I, I can't say it out loud, but I'm giving you motions. Okay, good. <laughs> somebody knows him? Okay. I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to meet I mean, I'd like to get to know him better. He's a nice guy. That's Off- that's what you that's what you hear and stuff too. So we are we are hoping to have him on the podcast. Well, soon. Tell him I said hello. That'd be great. Tell him, <laughs> tell him. If we get him on, we'll tell him you said hello. Tell him, tell him he, yeah, he's a smart fella. He knows about a lot of everything, man. He does. He does, and he like will answer your questions on Twitter and stuff. So Brian, I'm telling you right now, there will be a section of sports talk on that. Sorry, <laughs> Brian. He can he can do it. I can't. I'm not good. I can, I can talk. We can talk about the New York Yankees back in the '60s, you know, you know those guys. But I, like I say, when music hit, everything went to crap, you know, for me. Yeah. I, it's straight in. Yeah. See, it's opposite for me. I got into playing music and bands after my baseball career was over. Oh, really? So you played a lot of baseball? I tr- I tried for as long as they allowed me to play, which was about 24, and I finally kind of shut it down. Where did you play at? Uh, in the Columbus area, like when I got out of school and stuff, I was playing some semi-pro ball in the area with the Coors Light Rockies. Man, Columbus, yeah, there you go. Well, Toledo, don't they have the Mud Hens? Or Mud something? Hens, which is the Tigers AAA team, yep. I used to play in the 80s, or yeah, it was in the 80s. I played, I played that place a lot. They used to have shows up there, you know. I remember playing that. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, the stadium? Yeah, I think the Headhunters played there once too with Lone Star. Oh like, yeah, Lone Star. I funny story. When I was in college, I worked at a Kroger pharmacy and it had a fifth third bank in it, and which was next to the pharmacy. And one of the tellers was the mom of one of the guys from Lone Star. I think that's, that's the singer's that's, mom. Makes sense. Yeah, Columbus, Columbus is a cool town. So Clapton's up there now. Somebody now, Brian, where are you at? Where are you at? Uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo. Is that where uh, Vintage Guitar Magazine? Uh, no, they're they're in Bismarck. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. You guys are a little far apart. How'd y'all meet? Just through. Uh, I don't know. We got some friends that have a podcast called State of America. It's a Black Rose podcast. Oh yeah. I think yeah. it was through those guys. It was through those guys. I think Brian was looking for a new co-host, and I think you approached David Nee, and they're like, "Hey, we had this dude on our podcast. He's okay." Yeah, because there's a Facebook group besides the same name as a podcast. So I had the Facebook page like for a couple of years before this started. Okay. Good so when I was looking for someone else, and yeah, I hit up those guys, and they pointed me in Jason's direction. That's cool. Very cool. Well, you're, you're talking about Black Rose. They're, they're a great band. I, I can't say I know the Robertson brothers. Robinson. What? Robinson. Robinson, Robinson yeah. yeah. Sorry, they're killing me for the same You got time. Robertson and Blackstone Cherry. <laughs> yeah. No, Chris. But uh, I don't know either brother. I know Oddly. Oh, yeah. I love Oddly. Man, Oddly he's a hell of a guitarist. Oh, he's one of the best. One of the most laid back, cool guys ever was right there. I loved his band Cry of Love, of course. Yeah, yeah I did awesome. too. Yeah. Yeah, they were so good. Um, yeah, Black Crows, man. They they kicked some serious butt. Of course, Gorman, he's a Kentucky boy. Yeah, he is. Yep. Bowling yep. Green, right? Bowling Green, yeah. Yep. Yep. He sure was, man. Well, and, well, if we get him on, we'll talk about the Kentucky influences, too. Yeah, please tell him I said hi. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, Greg, my last question for you, and it's a little bit more of a long, long format, um, is give us your best tour story that you have from your long, illustrious career. Like, what sticks out as a great story to tell? We've had people that have had walked into orgies in Wild West pioneer towns that were movie sets. We've had people gone to house parties with Eminem and uh, Marilyn Manson. What do you got? Oh, gosh. I've lived a sheltered life, evidently. Well, <laughs> there you have it. Um, I don't know, man. Um, could be funny. So Doesn't have to be yeah, funny, good, so bad. Well, we've been so lucky that that we've we've um, survived a lot of craziness. Uh, when I was out with Skinner, it was really interesting because it was a circus, and I, I say that lovingly, by the way. Um, I was on. There was two buses, best I remember. Gary, Johnny, Dale, and the other girl singer, uh, her last name was Davis, uh, they were on one bus, and I was on the bus with Leon, Billy, I can't remember if Custer was on that bus or not, I was, uh, uh, Ed King was on the bus I was on, it was just, I have to say there was something special about that three weeks out with them, because every night, me and Billy, I, and I love Gary. I love me. I I really hit it off really well with Gary, because uh, when I was rehearsing with him, he knew I was nervous about it. I mean, immediately when when Ed King called me and asked me if I'd sub for him, of course, you know there was this part of me went, oh yeah, sure, man, I'll do it. Then I got thinking, what did I just agree to? Because I I don't really know their songs that well. But anyway, um, there was just nights out there on the road with Skinner where Billy and Leon, we were just sitting on the bus one night, and they told me exactly about the plane crash. I mean, about when it went down. They were just on the, they were just on the plane, and they said, I think Leon said, man, we looked out the window, we saw a store, and somebody jokingly said, hey, man, can you stop over so we can get a six-pack? Next thing you know, they're hearing all this crackling, and they're hitting trees and stuff, and bam, you know. Uh, there's just something surreal about talking to those those two guys. They're gone now, you know, about that um, terrible night, you know. I, I know that's probably not exactly what you wanted to hear. No, no, we want – it's, it's, it's your question to answer. There's no right, right right or wrong with it. Yeah, that, that it was just riding, riding on the bus with Skinner. Um, and I actually – a lot of folks don't don't maybe don't know this. Uh, I was asked – Gary called me in 94 about replacing Randall Hall. And um, I wasn't going to leave my band. I love right. Randall Skinner. Do you know Randall? He played with him for three or four years. And um, Gary called me one morning, and I said, well, I have to think about that. And I just couldn't, couldn't leave my band, you know. Just, but, um, but, no, I think that time out with Skinner was pretty special. Sure. It really was. The great guys, I really love those guys a lot. And I think they've been really good to Blackstone Cherry. They've been really good to them. And uh, uh, they they were good to me, you know. And they've been really good to the head. They love the headhunters, too, because Gary told me, uh, him and Dale, when the Picking on Nashville came out, that they, they listened to the album a lot. And so, you know, I, it's really neat because in the 70s, I – I never knew if I was ever going to be in the music business or anything. I wanted to, but you know, I'd hear, you know, hear Sweet Home Alabama, 
give me three steps on her. I had no idea that I ever even get to meet those people, you know. That, but so going out and playing that those three weeks for them were pretty special, you know. They really were. Sure. Well, good job. You survived the lightning round of my my random flurry of questions. <laughs> yeah. So what's your what's your favorite disco, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Brian. You got to answer that. Like I said, like I grew up on for whatever the four bands that we grew up on were the Beatles, and it was when they had the the and I've got. I've got them, one of them on CD now, but the they were blue and red greatest hits, and the red yeah. oh, red yeah. one was from like the like the early sixties yeah, and stuff, and then the blue one was like everything Sgt. Pepper's on like around that time, and ELO oh. and the Bee Gees and Kiss. So I mean, we had Saturday Night Fever. I mean, and I honestly yeah. I don't as far as the Bee Gees, I can honestly say like I like I like uh, Nights on Broadway and lonely nights as far as songs but oh yeah man they're great songs come on i mean you cannot fault the bgs for having bad songs no great songs hey no those are actually all you just mentioned man the great they're, they're they all they're all in our dna you yeah know, it's there it's there all right yeah jason any what's your favorite disco come on my Dude, favorite radio disco part, my radio part's coming now the interview <laughs> Well, you know, I don't have quite the long disco history as the two of you, but probably really the Saturday Night <laughs> Fever soundtrack. Yeah. That that's that's outstanding. And then um, you know, Disco Duck, which I think killed the disco yeah. song industry. <laughs> God. That record, yes, what was that? Rick Dees, right? Rick Dees. Rick Dees, he was a DJ. Yeah. yeah. And he did that disco duck song. Oh, I remember that. It hey. was on I think it was on RSO Records. I can't believe that uh, it came out on that label. But no, hey, labels are all about selling records. So they I are. There was a Star Wars disco album, too. What was the words? Don't be a cluck, something about disco duck or yeah, something. Yeah, something. I just, because it sounded like uh, Daffy Duck, you know, I'm four or five years or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, this is great. But I found out later on that pretty much killed disco. So how about the Grateful Dead Shakedown Street? That's a good tune. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I never initially I didn't connect with the Grateful Dead. Um, I should have because it's all about musical freedom, you know. But uh, it was later on in life when I've really got kind of understood those stood those guys. Uh, they had a real kindred relationship with the Almond Brothers. Right. They were they were all brothers, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. So, uh, speaking of Ohio. There was a group come out of Ohio in the seventies, late called Glass Harp. You ever, anybody ever heard of Glass Harp? Head up. I, I don't. No. Bill Keggy was the guitarist. He's been in the Christian music business. A oh long yeah, time. I've heard of him. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Uh, they uh, Glass Harp released three albums on MCA. I love that band. They were they were from around Youngstown. Great band. Okay. Great. Yeah, Northeast Ohio. Walsh. There. Of course, Joe Walsh come out of a. Uh, he was yeah. like, was he Akron or where was Joe Walsh? Cleveland? Cleveland, 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 uh, Akron. Akron's Cleveland. close to Cleveland. What's the big, what's the big college town up there where the, the shootings Kent were? State. He kind of kept that area right there. Yeah. There's a bar that was up there called JB's. I hear a lot about that. James gang played. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. Ohio. Had, Rick Derringer's from Ohio. Rick Derringer, Ohio yeah. players. Yeah. Yeah. I know Rick. He's great, man. Amazing. Yeah. Ohio. You guys have got it, man. 
We got some, you know, we're all right. We're all right. Yeah. We're okay. So, come on, man. Where you're from, too, there, Brian. I mean, who come out of your area? Tommy Boland come from up there somewhere? Or... The only guy I can think of is Mitch Malloy, who sings for Great White now. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah. isn't Lawrence Welk from North Dakota? I have hey, no North... idea. Or South Dakota or something? Hey, man. Lawrence Welk would dance with a woman every night, a different woman every night. On <laughs> he, he was a together He was a together cat. Come on. Yeah. Did you guys ever play Wii Fest? I believe we did. That's in Detroit Lakes. That's like an hour from here in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah we, we, we've done that. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, speaking of disco, before we leave, the Black Crows actually have a disco song from the, oh. <laughs> which I don't like. It's called I Ain't Hiding, and it's completely disco, like disco, really? disco. Everybody's got to have it. On, does Gorman play on it? Yeah, yeah. it's on their last out. It's on the um, Before the Frost um, disc. The last one, they their last studio album. I'll be done. We'll no, send you a link that. or something so you can listen to it. Oh, I haven't heard that one, man. Oh, man. I heard that, and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I think that well, was all a, a Chris thing. There's, there are certain disco songs that trigger a bad feeling in me. One of them was You Can Ring My Bell. Oh. <laughs> Double Dutch Bus. Is that what the name was? That? Do you remember that? Yeah. So, there, Ring my bell. Certain songs I just go, they would make a bad make a good day just go south real fast. Uh but man, I love there were certain bands like well, I can't even say Tower Power. They weren't they weren't disco. Chic. Chic. Yeah. They're disco. They were great, man. Uh geez. I know I know they hated that era because some one an interview asked one of the brothers about what do you think about that era? They said you could take a white suit and medallions and throw gasoline on it, set it on fire. I said, God, man. <laughs> Watch that BT's documentary. It's really good, and it goes in the early careers. They were pop guys and kind of how they got into that. Actually, it's a pretty sad story with the, with those dudes, like just tr some tragedy. Yes. When I think early, even back in 69, the brothers had some disagreements, didn't they? One of them quit. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which one. I'm thinking maybe – Robin maybe quit initially. Yeah, and Robin, one or two of them had drug problems or alcohol problems. Oh, man, I, oh, another guilty pleasure. I love Andy Gibbs. <laughs> I had I shadow Andy. dancing on, on vinyl. Oh, I admit. Shadow dancing. Come on, man. Uh, and I love, what was the first song he had out? It had great rhythm guitar on it. Uh, it was just so good. Man, I don't have a problem with that stuff. You know, player. Good, good music is oh, player. Yeah, baby, come back, right? I love it, man. Well, come well, on, all, all the all the southern rocker guys out there going to go. What what is it? Miss you by the Stones. Oh, Stones did some great disco, didn't they? Miss you. Okay. Hotel Rescue. Yeah. What about Orleans? Did you like Orleans? Oh, or Orleans. Orleans or yeah. Orleans. Yeah, Orleans. Oh, Orleans was a great band. Great freaking band. Uh, can't think of the guy's name. The leader, Hall. Uh, yeah, they were they were really a, a musician's band. I don't know yeah. the truth. But you're talking about player. <laughs> we're taking this somewhere. <laughs> but this is good, though. <laughs> Before me and Ruth got married, uh, we went to a, the homecoming show at Western where she went to college. I think we took Sherry and Johnny and Player and Exile play. 
course, Exile were a band from Lexington, and they had uh, Kiss You All Over in 1978. Oh. <laughs> Huge. A great band, though. Man, I'm telling you. Uh, the drummer, Bobby Johns, had a big impact on our drummer, Fred. We love, we love Exile. They, man... They they were they were really a great rock soul band, and of course the disco thing hit. They kind of got plumped over there, but they were really good. So, <laughs> Player in Exile. Sorry, folks, if you're what you're expecting us to talk about the Molly Hatchet and <laughs> who else? Molly Hatchet, very little time. Disco, a lot of time. I'm sorry, guys. I love I love everybody <laughs> talking about, but uh, we got to give disco. Disco talk with Jason and Brian. So, Greg, in your in your long illustrious career, has any interview ever gone to your discussion of your love of disco? No, this one. This we, one. We may break the internet. You know, we may break the internet. Yeah, it's possible. I'm sure the guys in my band are probably going. Did you have to say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> they 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 view uh, Richard and Fred kind of view disco as what killed Southern rock. For a while, of course, it's it's always going to be with us, you know. Uh, man, disco was never my favorite music. Right, 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 right. But it was. I, I found some good use for some of it. <laughs> I made living with it for See, for about a year. Again, yeah. Listen, man. you can respect parts of other musical yeah. genres having them influence you, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, absolutely, and uh, you know. 70s was great. The disco thing ushered in a a whole different thing. And then the MTV, that took it a whole different place, you know, completely. But, uh, hey, man, music is music, and it touches everybody in a different way. So I can't say anything bad about any genre or any anybody's guilty pleasures or whatever. That's right. Because... Uh, Music will take you, it'll transport you. Certain songs are trans. I can hear God Only Knows or Wouldn't It Be Nice by the Beach Boys. And I can go right back to where I lived and where I heard it in the living room for the first time. Or the, when I hear the intro to California Girls by the Beach Boys, it just transports me way back to a great time in my life. Or the Loving Spoonful, Do You Believe in Magic? Uh, God, music has that quality about it. It's a spiritual thing. I think you're getting to the core of why we like music because you have these um, memories or these emotions attached to these songs, and that's why, right. like you know, I mean, it's 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 a great thing. I'm I'm with you. Like there's certain songs that evoke specific oh, yeah. memories or emotions with me. Absolutely do, and I can. AM radio, it was mostly fluffy pop. I mean, uh, you know, back in six. Well, '65 was an interesting year because Dylan. Uh, sprang on with like a Rolling Stone. He went from the folk thing and jumped into the electric thing and had right. like a Rolling Stone. Then you had the Loving Spoonful. Do you believe in magic? You had the Beatles help at summer. Uh, so many <laughs> the Stones. Yeah, didn't get no satisfaction. I mean, what that summer '65 was magical. And I can it just when I hear those songs, I can just go back to where I lived in Louisville on Dresden Avenue, 832 Dresden Avenue, and. <laughs> Man, I can tell you the first time I heard Paperback Writer by the Beatles in 66. I was sitting on the front porch, listening to a little AM radio, you know. And uh, I, as I was telling Steve, and you probably heard me say this, and we kind of touched on it a while ago. Uh, when I was up there with Steve, Chris, and Boone back 
September, October. I can tell you the first time I heard Mississippi Queen, I pulled in, I was going to church that Sunday. I was probably about 17 and Mississippi Queen came on the radio and I missed Sunday school, part of Sunday school. I said it, <laughs> but it was a great, I learned just as much sitting in that Falcon, listening to Mississippi Queen. I did. And so it's a short song. Oh man, that guitar intro. Woo. One of and the it, best riffs, most like as soon as you hear it, you know, you know what the song is. Oh yeah. I can take, I can I know exactly where I was sitting. And then when I heard Sunshine of Your Love by Cream, uh, I was living in Cedar Flats, where Chris lived in that area, too. Uh, I heard it on WCFL or WLS one night out of Chicago by Cream. I went, oh, Lord. Now, I can tell you the first time I heard a whole lot of love. I was driving on a, I think I was going to Fred Richards to, to mm-hmm. them. And that came on the radio, and I went, God, what is that? You know, no, and music has that quality, that that ability to take you back to a place in time. And as a musician, you aspire to have a song. And I think that we do have some songs that do that. I think Dumas Walker and Walk mm-hmm. Softly, some of the songs take people back to a, a happier time in life. And as a writer, you want that. Uh, but I think music is so spiritual like that. It really is, you know. Yeah, for I, sure. I can tell you the first time I heard Kiss, Too Much to Lose. No, not Too Much to Lose. Uh, what is it? What was our first single? Too Much to Lose is our song. Uh, Nothing to Lose. Yeah. Uh, was that their oh, first I don't know. Song? Was that their first single? No, the first I'm not single. sure. But Maybe. that's a song on her first record. Yeah, it'll come to me in a minute. I remember hearing that. Man, they were just a good, solid rock band, you know? Nothing to Lose. Nothing to Lose. That was that's, the first single. That's a good one, man. That's a good, yeah. I love that song. That they have a, you know, everybody has a ability. I remember the first time I heard Montrose. Uh, first time I heard Graham Parsons, who was a country rock guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, what we're talking about here is music. You know, uh, I know it's about southern rock. Did you like the Flying Burrito Brothers? I mean, you mentioned Graham Parsons. I loved, I loved the Flying Burrito yeah. Brothers. I heard Wheels off of the Gilded Palace of Sin. Uh, on a radio show out of Chicago around 69 um, and it came on the radio and I went, oh, I love that band. And of course, Graham Parsons, I really had a, yeah. uh, studied him a lot. You know, he started with the international submarine band. He went into the birds then he went uh, into uh, the Fly Burrito Brothers. Then he mm-hmm. split off to do his own thing. Of course, you know about him dying yep. Josh and all that. So there's a lot of, yeah, somebody. like his roadie or somebody took him out. Is that like after he died, then they take his ashes out or somebody snuck him out there or something? Uh, Phil Kaufman, his road manager, <laughs> they were going to ship his body back to Louisiana or Florida for a burial. And there was some kind of controversy why his stepdad wanted the body back because maybe insurance purposes, maybe. Well, Phil Kaufman and maybe somebody else snuck into the airport hangar like they were and they had like a, they acted like they were supposed to pick the body up and transport it back. And they took it back out to Joshua Tree and uh, doused it with gasoline. And it was like a funeral pyre, right? Or, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. They, I yeah. saw that documentary. And I, yes. at that time, I had never known that 
the Graham and Emmy Lou Harris, they were the ones who did Love Hurts. I always thought that was a Nazareth song. Well, Love Hurts is was written by Felice and Boodle O'Brien, by the way. Okay. It originally done by the Everly Brothers, then oh, Nazareth. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll tell you a funny moment. You know, you're asking about funny moments on the road or stuff like that. It involves uh, the singer in Nazareth. What's his name? The lead oh. singer. I have no idea. I'll look it up, though. Uh, McCarthy. McCarthy. Um, uh, well, one morning, they played the same festival we played another night. And we were, me and Doug Phelps was sitting downstairs you know, at the, at the buffet. And he came down. And he was, I think he was still half drunk at night, <laughs> night before. But he, he sat down with us. And he just started telling all these great stories and making fun of Rod Stewart because he knew Rod Stewart and Paul, Paul McCartney. One of the funniest guys I ever met, man. You know. And I, Dan I, McCafferty. That's his name. Dan McCafferty. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Scottish. Scottish. I love huh? that guy. Matter of fact, I had his number. I he, he's still out and kicking right now. Is he still with us? Yeah, he's 74. Still, still oh, around. He is so funny, man. He was probably 64 when I met him, at, or maybe maybe around 60. But, uh, yeah, he was making fun of McCartney. He knew all these guys from London, you know. you know. But, uh, yeah, Love Hurts, originally done by uh, the Everly Brothers, written by Boudreau and Felice Bryant. Look those folks up on Wikipedia, kids. Felice and Boudreau Bryant right here, yep. Posers. Uh, my cat, Boudreau. He's still back here in the back here. And that's like a Louisiana Cajun spelling, like B-O-U-D-L-E-A-U-X. Yeah, yeah. But my wife named this cat. This cat is a Boodle we've got. He's a big old, he's way too big. <laughs> yeah. So, I've got a 22-pound cat, and it's not because it's fat, because it's huge. It's like a, yeah. I don't know, it's a mutant. We had another friend of yours on the podcast, Andy Aildort. Love Andy. Absolutely. Yeah. He told me that earlier. Andy's, oh, did he? Andy's a great guy, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I saw Andy Andy about a year. Nah, it's been longer than that. We played a Stevie Ray tribute thing, you know, together. Oh, he's a hell of a player, man. He is a hell of a player. Yes, he is. I've had him on the radio show. He's a great guy, man. Got a shit ton of stories, too. He, uh, Yeah, he was out there with Dickie Pats. Yep. He's, he played with a lot of different people, you know. Yeah, you guys, so you, who else you had on the show? We had JD Simo. Do you know him? I know JD. Got yeah, him. yeah, he's he down awesome. the road from you now. Yeah, he'll he'll be on tomorrow. We recorded last week. He'll be on that tomorrow. I love JD. Yeah. He's my friend. I don't see him. You know, I've I've been thinking about JD. It's one of these things where we don't really call each other, but if if I see JD, it's like we haven't been apart. You know, he mm-hmm. used to hang out the radio show all the time. Oh, sure. Know? But I'm he's sure a cat that, for sure, man. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's awesome. He's great. I love JD. I do. He's I, uh, scoring a movie, a Tom Hanks movie about Elvis right now. Is he really? Yeah. I didn't Tom Hanks is playing movie. Colonel Tom Parker on that one too. So JD is actually doing the music for that. He's he's helping do some of the music for it. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. for him. Man. Well, he's got a, he's got a kid now, and yep. uh, you know, and last time I saw him was actually with Andy at the Stevie Ray thing. That's oh, been, no kidding. Yeah, it's been about a year and a half ago. Best I remember. Everything's just run together. <laughs> I think it was 2019 is what I think. Fall of 2019. So about a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, who else has been on the show? 
<laughs> Boone, Boone and Steve, both. Boone and Boone, Chris, Gladys Brothers, TJ oh. and Riley, and Riley, Tyler Bryant, uh, Dave yes, Goldfleece, David Goldfleece from the Almond Brothers. Do uh, you know the Steepwater Band? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Joe from the Steepwater Band. He was the first yeah. guest. Rob Flores, who's a, a keyboardist who played with the Black Crows and Colin yeah. Hay and After a bunch Eddie of other people. Left. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. uh, Jane Lee know. Hooker, uh, a female fronted blues yes, band. Matter of fact, I've, I've got one of her CDs. Or it's on a one of the bigger label blues labels. I know. Yeah. Yeah. She's a pretty young blues player girl, right? Yep. It's um. It's a well. The band is Jane Lee Hooker. There's not one of them named that, but we had the, oh, the okay. we had the lead guitarists on. There's they have twin lead guitar player, like two lead guitar players, and they were on. They're good. Is is the girl the, one of the players? Is there a girl in the band? Yeah, yeah. It's They're like, all girls except the drummer. Right. Oh, okay. The, okay. Yep, good. yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then New um, York City band. God, we've uh, had a lot of people on. I'm just trying to go through. They were junkyard. The was from well Southern California. They were. Hard they rock. got big at the end of the 80s. I've heard of that band, yeah. You know, they had a song yeah. called Simple Man. wasn't the Skinner version, but Simple Man, a song called Hollywood. Okay. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing about what I'm doing. We're having fun doing, spreading yeah. music. I mean, none of us are going to get rich, you know. <laughs> it's a, it's about, it's just about sharing music. It's fun. Uh, you know? Having fellowship with people and... Uh, Especially, Especially during the pandemic, like talking to people, make a connection because you can't go out and see music or hear music. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I talked to talked to Boone about that a lot. We, we we got together for about 45 minutes today, you know, and, you know, I'm checking in on those guys because they've had a. Their band's going through changes a little bit right now, you know, yeah. and, but they're going to come back. They're going to come back strong. Yep. They're they smart. got the talent. Boone's got a yeah. ton of talent. Yeah, they're smart. They're smart. Have, uh, you heard Tennessee Champagne, the band? No, I've heard of them. Were they? Are they from Tennessee? Or? Yeah, they're from. What's the name of the uh, Elizabethton, Tennessee? Uh, they're I'm going through sure some transitions too. Town Kentucky is, but uh, Elizabethton. Uh, no, but I mean I, that I'll keep. I'll file that away. I'll file yeah. that away. Somebody Magnolia Bayou. Guys from Magnolia Bayou, which I think are what are there? Are they Alabama or Mississippi? Gulfport, Mississippi. Gulfport, uh, Mississippi. Haven't there's a lot of guys coming up. I'm, I'm missing. There's a band that people talk about called the Horse Cave Trio. Never heard of that. And neither. I think they're out of Detroit, but they're named. Oh. One of the guys has family from Horse Cave, Kentucky, and that's why they're called that. See okay. if you can find out. I don't know what their deal is, but I hear about them guys. Um, there they, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Horse Cave Trio. It was named for a small town in Kentucky where divorced parents are from, although they moved to Ypsilanti, Michigan. And- there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've got a friend that talks about them nonstop. He loves that band. But uh, They're on the list now. Yeah, there you go, man. I mean, if you run into them, tell them I know who they are. <laughs> for sure. You know everybody. Well, I'm lucky that my memory is still halfway intact. <laughs> even going through the COVID thing, you know, it, it affects people different, you know, it really yeah. does. Yeah. Some people have had like cognitive issues with that. Uh, I was having the craziest. I was remembering when I was sick. I don't know if I was having a dream. I was remembering stuff I forgot about. 
you know, I don't know what what it does. It's a weird disease. Uh, yeah, it's a weird virus. I don't even know what. So I, the main thing it did to me it was it was fatigue was my main issue. I was congested a little bit, but I never had a lot of. Did you lose your smell and taste? No, no, I didn't either. I didn't huh. either. My God, I matter of fact, I ate a lot, a lot more than I should have. <laughs> you need the energy to fight that virus off, man. I did, man. I was drinking everything I could, not except alcohol, which I don't drink. <laughs> but I was drinking milk, anything. I was, I was thirsty. Wow. Nonstop yeah. thirsty. You know. But uh, hey, we got through it. You know, got through it. You haven't got it yet. That's good. I'm. You know what? My wife and son get their second shots tomorrow. I, hopefully, I'm not too far behind. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm ready for my second shot. And you've had your first, right? My first one. Next one, I'll make sure I have the day off the next day. Yeah, I'm going to make sure because I'm going to tell you, <laughs> the first one, most people say they don't feel anything, but I'm going to tell you, I was in bed most of the next day. Yeah, so I was in bed all day. My family's had the Pfizer one, and they had no issues the first yeah. time. They said the yeah. second time, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to try to make sure. If I hopefully get it on Saturday, I'll take the Sunday off. If just... we all get vaccinated, not just the three of us, everybody, we can have music this summer. Yeah, it's great, yeah. It's time. Time. It, it'll, sure. it'll happen, man. It'll happen. Besides herd immunity, we got to get vaccinated. You know, it's got to happen. Got to happen. It's please, just an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate incident. We'll never forget it. You know? No. No. And like, I've ever encountered where the world pretty much shut down, you know? It's but by the, scary. You know, it was scary this time last year. And by the grace of God, you know, my family made my family, my bandmates. We made it through. I'm, I'm, yeah, man, that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So, who you guys got coming up on interviews? Uh, Candlebox, the band Candlebox, the lead um, singer from Candlebox. Um, hold on, I've got a heard of Candlebox. Yep. Heard. They have kind of like an orbital relationship to blues. I mean, they have some blues-based songs that are influenced by the blues. A lot of rock bands coming out now because they were one of those 90s hard rock bands were influenced by them so we're gonna have kevin martin on um from that band okay cool uh band out of la la called joyous wolf the singer yeah you mentioned that yeah Yeah. uh jive mother mary they're out of north carolina yep heard of those guys they have a connection with otis right maybe they were gonna they did a tour they're they were gonna do a tour they were gonna do a tour with them i think yeah, I believe they yeah. were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a guy from Dallas called named Justin Ross. Okay, I don't know, but they're getting it's like a blues player. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of serious great blues players from um, Dallas and England. There's some great guys out. Of oh England. yeah, we got we do like an across the pond episode every once in a while. So Mike Ross got, on. Uh, there's a girl a fronted band called Jade Like the Stone, and then okay. Els Bailey, Seafoam Green. Uh, we're gonna talk to Mojo Thunder. Out of yeah, out of Lexington. Yeah, huh? they're out of Lexington, correct? Yep. Yeah. You yeah, know Papa stuff. Chubby from New York City, blues player. Mm-hmm. He's a yeah, he's a hot player. He's great, great. Yeah. There's, there's a, a a guitar. There's two or three guitar players out of England. Oh gosh, Chris King Robinson is one mm-hmm. of them. I think is you might want to check him out. Chris yeah. King Robinson. Another guy named Jesse Davey that played with the Hoax is really good. Uh, oh, my Lord. Matt Schofield. Those three guys are great players. There's really? a lot of 
a lot of good blues players under the Philip Sace. Y'all heard of him? No. No. Oh, he's another good one, man. There's a bunch of guys out there. So many. Well, I just pulled up Chris King Robinson's website here, Brian. I'll shoot it over to you. Yeah, yeah. Check out check out Jesse Davy, J E S S E Davy, and he he was with the hoax. He's a good player. We've been uh, we're trying to chase Britt and Charlie down too. Who? <laughs> Britt and Charlie from Blackberry Smoke. We're trying to chase them down. Oh, Charlie! Have you not had any luck with Charlie? No, nope. not yet. I've been trying to get him and Britt. I've been trying to get. Have you had Paul? No. I reached out to Paul through Instagram and never heard back. I'm trying to think the best way to do that. There's, there's got to be. Let me think on that. I mean, a lot of guys have like contact information that I can email or call. Like I spoke to Kenny Wayne Shepherd's manager on the phone yesterday, and she's checking with the record label about when would be a good time to get back to us about having him. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. That, yeah. You're, you're going about the right. My whole thing, interviews are kind of haphazard. You know, like I won't do any for a while, then all of a sudden, then three things, things like Elliot Easton from the cars. I happened to. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I love the cars. He's on Facebook. He's on Facebook. Man, that's how a lot of this stuff happens. Yeah. And Facebook, Instagram, once whatever. Get, once they get to know you, you know, they'll go, oh, yeah, sure. God, you know. I, I keep threatening to write Eric Clapton's management and say, hey, I don't have that big a following, but he'll have a good time. <laughs> well, I'm going to start tooling around the, the German village downtown Columbus when this COVID shit's over, and I'm going to run into him in, just for you. Thank you. Does he actually, does people see him up there? Do you see the people talk about seeing him? Randomly. He used to pop into like random like clubs and stuff, and there's a Indian Lake, which is out my way a little bit more, that he would show up and just randomly play places and do things. I don't know oh. if he's still in Columbus. Like I heard he might have moved back to England at some point, but he's got a home here. Oh, he's got a home there, I guarantee, because his his uh, wife's family's from there. He's got yeah, a home. yeah. He's got a place in England he's had forever. But yeah, his wife's from Columbus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I never had a proper introduction to him. Uh, Jeff Beck, I, I met through Jimmy Hall. Jimmy Hall would be a good guy for you guys. Yeah, for well, sure. Man, these guys are all. Easy, man. A lot of times it's just getting through the red tape of management. Mm-hmm. Man, I tried to get Bobby Whitlock on the show oh. a while back. And speaking of Derek and the Dominoes, yes. And I met Bobby Whitlock. He he jammed with us years ago, but he still I don't think he remembers. <laughs> yeah. But, but but his his management was just a little hard to get through. You know, they 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 didn't quite get what I was doing. But well, that's fine. When, if something is meant to happen, it happens organically. If it ain't meant to happen, you just don't worry about it. I have actually had Charlie reply to me on Instagram, but not didn't really answer yes or no. He just I gave him a compliment on the new single. He says thank you, and but I kind of was semi cryptic and wanting to have him on. But what you do, what you do, is you bait him. Talk about guitars. Say, would you like to? Do our oh, yeah. Talk about some guitars. Yeah, I bet you get his attention. <laughs> and ask, yeah, ask him if he likes NRBQ, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, then he'll, he'll go, okay, Greg Martin put you up to that. <laughs> I mean, I could give you his contact, but, man, it, that's not the no. real deal. You know no. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he's a really good fellow. 
Oh, yeah. I'll See, I met those guys at a meet and greet in Madison, so it was pretty cool. Oh, they're good people, man. They're good people. I always wanted Dickie Betts on the show, but I, I never could get quite get to uh, the man. I don't know. I, I doubt if he does anything now. Yeah. It's his health. Yeah, his health. And I want his son-in-law on the show at some point. Frank Hannon from Tesla. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Frank does solo stuff, and he does, like, Southern rock covers and stuff like that all the time. Sure does. So now, of course, have you talked to uh, Dwayne Betts at all? No. Uh Uh-uh. I mean, mean, that that, that would be good. They they would fit right in. I don't know Dwayne. I met Dwayne, jammed with him one time, and he seemed like a real sweet kid, man. Of course, he's not a kid. He's probably 30 now. I don't know. But but everybody's a kid to me now. (laughs) But... uh, yeah, man. I mean, these guys, they're just normal people. I mean, I, unless they're just really burnt out on the business, they probably won't talk, you know. Well, especially now when you can't go out and tour and stuff. Like, what else are you going to do? And it helps keep you your name out and the, you know. Exactly. And, man, man, talking to people, you know, is a good thing. You know, the pandemic was bad about every. It kind of made reclusive, recluses out of us, you know. And, um, it, it, we're not we're just not meant we meant to intermingle with each other and and thank god we did have this capacity through the internet and through these phones and things like that to do what we do you know so it'd be miserable like we talked about earlier like if this happened 30 40 years ago man it would have been much worse for people's mental health exactly exactly but man i'm, I'm seeing a light now i know you guys are too yep uh, i believe maybe but this year may not be Maybe by summer, maybe the con- some concerts. But I think next year we'll really see things get back to where it needs to get. Maybe, yeah. maybe this year. Maybe it'll be a lot sooner than we think. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm counting on it. Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed being home with my family, but I do know there was a time I thought, well, maybe being off the road, maybe I don't live here. But I think I. I'm not at the point where I do not want to tour because I think touring keeps my mind music playing music keeps the mind sharp and hanging with your brothers and meeting people. It's a good thing. Yeah, heck good yeah thing. it is. Yeah, sure is. Any, well, any last questions of, of importance that the people need to? Know? I have one before we throw it to Brian to close I mean, it out. I to rush you guys off or no? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> where? So where do we go and listen to? Kentucky Headhunters, find out about where your merch or tour is, this new album. Like, where should we go? Well, we do have a website, KentuckyHeadhunters.com, okay. and you can check that out. It it needs to be updated a little bit. Uh, man, just go out on YouTube. There's a lot of Headhunters on YouTube. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, I, I don't keep up with the Instagram page as much. I know we have one. We may have a Twitter as well, but I don't know what we'd be tweeting. <laughs> I don't think we're not talking politics or anything. So right. uh, you promote being on a cool blues and southern rock podcast. That's what you do. <laughs> there you go. Man. There you go. Yeah, exactly. When you, well, when you guys get ready to to drop it, let me know and send me a link, and we'll definitely promote it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'll put it on our website, or I can I can put it on our Facebook page. I, Facebook is about my. You know, I I had a, a MySpace for years, and then oh I, yeah, me too, yeah. Then it morphed into. Um, I miss yeah. MySpace. You could do like the songs and stuff right in your front page. Like it was I actually, wish it would come back. It was pretty cool. 
Cool. That was during the Rufus Huff days, and I really promoted Rufus Huff. Rufus Huff was a fun band. It really was. Uh, but anyway, we're guys, just let me know when it's going to happen, and we'll do it, okay? Absolutely. I'm going to text Andy Aldort right now to tell him we're talking to you. Yes, tell Andy I said hi. You know what? Yes, sir. The, uh, Boone and uh, Steve, they mentioned the podcast last night when they were on. Yeah. They had, uh, Chris, I don't know, are they, is Chris on there every week with those guys? Is, no, no. Uh, last night they were on uh, with Jeff, Jeff Bolin, the, yep. the pedal maker. Yep. They were talking about their 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 pedals. Is what yeah. They were. yeah, so yeah, we got to mention last night, I really thanked them for that. That was awesome. Oh, yeah, uh, and I'll definitely just let me know when this is going to drop, and I'll promote Sure, it. sure. Yeah, you got to remind me, though, I'm, very, I'm kind of forgetful. Yeah, I mean, if you don't tell me, I just need to know. Just let me know. Sure. And yeah. if uh, you can stick around for just a minute here after we get done rolling, that'd be great. Sure. So uh, we want to thank you, Greg Martin, from the Kentucky Headhunters for being on the podcast. This has been just really, really incredible. And thank you. We just thank you so much. And you're so gracious, you know, for a band of your magnitude and notoriety to take the time and, and talk to us, man. It's meant, meant the world to us. Thank you. And we want to do it again sometime soon. We'll do it again. We're off in the future. Part two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep doing it. My cat approves. All right. Thank you, Greg. See you guys. All right. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to that uh, great chat that we had with Greg. One thing that I learned that I I had no idea that, that had happened is that he played a short run, you know, playing guitar with Skinnerd there in the early 90s and uh he talked about how gracious those guys were to him and you know he was on the bus with uh they had two buses i guess and he's on the bus with with billy powell and leon wilkerson and they just out of the blue they just start getting deep talking about the plane crash and you know he just talked greg talked about how just like they were so open about that and just how how wonderful it was to be on that tour for that short amount of time and and hanging out with those guys and playing on stage and learning stuff and getting to be friends. Um, so that's that's uh, one thing in our chat that uh, stuck out to me. That uh, but um, I know there's more. I mean, super cool. Like I, I'm obsessed. I want to try to find if there's any video on YouTube of, of him playing with them. Right. I think that would be super cool. Um, stuck out to me though is. You know, one of my favorite questions that we always ask people is, you know, give us a guilty pleasure or tell us a band or music or something that you would, we'd be surprised that you like. And we got into a discussion about disco where Greg had been in a disco band in the late 70s, I think early 80s for a while, his appreciation for disco and, you know, the different, and I never in a million years what I would imagine we would be talking about disco with Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunter, Headhunters in a particularly positive light. And you're a disco fan too. I'm a fan. Well, <laughs> I you, you know grew I up listening to disco music. Well, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, everybody had Saturday Night Fever, but I like I mentioned, you know, uh, Shakedown Street by the Grateful Dead, and I mentioned Miss You and Emotional Rescue by the Stones, and mm-hmm. then we got into I Ain't Hiding by the Black Crows. <laughs> well, I hate that um, song. I hate. And, I love the Black Crows. I hate that song. You know, and and actually, I'm not going to call it disco, but it is funky. But uh, Blackberry Smoke, Believe You Me, yeah, is yeah, a great tune a little... from Like an Arrow. That's really cool. But it's would got... you ever thought that Greg Martin played in a disco band? Oh, no. <laughs> no. 
you know, he sent me a picture. I'll just send it to you. He sent me a picture of that, of the band that he was in. It's just a picture of him and uh, it must be a girl singer or whatever that's standing next to him. Did he send it to you too? No, but you know what? Andy Aldort sent me when we were talking to Greg and I was texting Andy at the same time. He sent me a picture of Andy himself, Greg, and J.D. Simo from that Hendrix thing. And I'm going to chat it to you right now. I need to get your your cell phone number. <laughs> Google chat or messenger chatting you, whatever, but I'll send yeah. it over to you. Okay. Yeah. And that's another thing that, uh, you know, he, you know, him and Andy are friends and he's friends with JD and JD's friends with Andy. And <laughs> so we keep uh, talking Crazy. to these people that, that know each other. And I would uh, love to see, would have loved to see that jam between those three gentlemen. You know, and, it, it, and we might have to get those three amigos together for a roundtable at some point, too. That there might you be go. Cool. There you go. And we also, and I don't know if we mentioned this before, but at some point we are going to do a Kentucky roundtable. And, you know, we're definitely going to have, you know, get some of the guys from the bands there and maybe a couple of people that aren't from there to, 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 to really appreciate, you know, that scene. Um, so we'll look forward to that as well. And. We've got some pretty exciting things coming up. You know, one that we're not going to reveal to anybody, but the VIPs that already know. Yeah, so um, you guys can look forward to that. By the way, we are we are good for the twenty fourth. Yeah. At that time. Right on. Yes, we've talked about that for sure. So we got, uh, we got a pretty good guest coming up that we're going to interview on Friday too. A little bit outside our typical blues and southern rock, but. Blues inspiration, the music, and also inspiring some of the younger bands that are in the Southern rock and blues scene this week, too. And that's I think that'll be a surprise as well, too. Yeah, and that's something where I get to learn some things. I really appreciate that you you uh, brought that gentleman up, too, as well. So yeah, uh, we're going to let you all ride that wave of anticipation. So until then, always remember, Southern rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time. Is ringing out.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 